So, hello and welcome to Frivolous Gravitas, a podcast of substantive conversations. You're listening to the froggy-throated Christopher Driver, and with me today, as usual, my trusty anti-fragile Mr. Jordan Roy. Hi, you can drop me from very high heights and I'll be fine. Oh, mostly. we'll drop you high, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you do sound better again this week, so. Yeah, today I'm having a good day, vocally speaking. Yeah, oh. make sure you get some hauls after this and drink a lot of water. Funny. <laughs> but um, today I'm going to sort of press Jordan a bit on uh, some socialist issues and try to understand the public aversion to taxation, uh, social spending, and public allocation of funds, basically. So it'll be a bit of a different format, but hopefully you'll still find it uh, as engaging as I do, because this type of topic really stimulates me about uh, how we should govern ourselves and philo- philosophically how we should go about trying to govern ourselves and amending our rule sets and uh, protocols and procedures and that kind of thing. So primarily, um, before we start, though, I want to acknowledge that I know that there's reckless spending in government and that it's rampant and that it's horribly destructive, and I don't deny any of that. What I do want to get to is the political ideal of how to set up a polis in the most optimal way, in an idealistic sense. And then once you find the ideal, you have something to look towards, and then you can kind of like backtrace it to fill in the gaps where human fallibility kind of screws us over. That's sort of the the intention, or uh, at least. Well, you shouldn't try and be too abstract, because then it won't have any relation to... Uh reality <laughs> no but it's like if you're trying to design an engine you design an impossible one first and then you build one that's possible to be built based on that because then at least you know you know not to make the bore size like way longer than this or wider than yeah. the stroke size or whatever you don't build eight liter engines if you're trying to make a fuel economy come, right? right so basically you- i want to talk about how to make uh, a fuel economy car but if the government was the car. <laughs> so we, we're going to build a hydrogen engine and see if we can come up with anything useful from that. There's no utility to that. No, I'm <laughs> Not sorry. Not until we come up with like fusion power or like solar arrays that we have excess to, you know, split hydrogen off of desalination plants and, you know, kill two birds with one. St- oh, another topic. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> how easy the tangent slide. Um, <laughs> So to start off, though, um, I'll throw you a couple softballs just to see where you stand, and then I'll sort of respond to those, see where I stand, and then we'll kind of progress from there. So we both acknowledge, I assume, um, social spending is necessary to some degree in some regard, right? Yeah, I'm kind of a... uh, Mark Blythe kind of convinced me that some social spending is absolutely necessary, and that austerity, for austerity's sake, is... I'm a bit of a misstep. I still think like it should be streamlined and I don't think we need committees to talk over what needs to be done ad nauseum, but you know, you do need programs. Um, but it's more complicated than just like, should we, uh, I don't know, something like CERB or something might be, you know, everyone gets 2000 bucks, but then, or, yeah, or universal basic income or something where you just yeah. pay the B people. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the more I think about UBI, the more I'm kind of not on the road for it. But yeah. yeah. We'll probably get into that though too, because that covers socialist spending to a large degree. And I think yeah. that's really important to discuss because most people get UBI wrong. 
and I want them to think about it rationally instead of thinking about how great it would be to get paid to do nothing because that doesn't help anybody. <laughs> it just makes everybody poorer. No. So um, we agree, though, that there are necessary uh, investments and expenditures by the government or whatever, so won't dwell too much on that. But simple things like waterworks, right? Everybody should have clean water and access mm -hmm. to water in their homes and uh, electricity. We should all be electrified. So maybe I'll start pushing on some of the, the more sideline well, where stuff. Where I'm living, electricity isn't, electricity and water aren't, uh, aren't uh, governmental. Well, they're paid for by tax. Nope. I buy it. What? Yeah. It's privatized. Oh, you're in Alberta, right? Yeah, um, I'm in Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll start there. Roads, though, and think, buses are. <laughs> do you think it should be privatized then, given the nature of uh, the way corporations chase profits and neglect human um, health and environmental health, such as, you know, um, PG&E or whatever in California where they had like natural gas leaks for months and nobody cared or oil spills because they just didn't build the, the fail safes because they wanted to save money on construction. Like, do we really think that we can trust private companies with proper regulation maybe? Or what are your thoughts on that? I think you overloaded that question. Uh, <laughs> well, what do you think about pri private enterprises running public services? I think it's fine. Um, if they are kept in check, and the people to keep that them in check is the government, like because that's a uh, how abstract do I want to get here? I think in my estimation, it seems like you know corporations are here to stay. We're not going to get rid of them, so you have to put them on somewhat of a leash. I don't think we should be taking all their money, you know, tax the rich kind of stuff. But it it seems like how do I say this? If it can be done by one party, it can be done by the other. It doesn't really matter to the consumer who's doing it, <clears throat> whether it's coming from taxpayer money in a strictest sense. Um, it doesn't really matter where it's coming from. A company um, on its own will have more freedom to act uh, quicker with regards to um, changes in the market, with regard to changes in, um, uh, I don't know, laws, regulation. Well, that's uh, kind of important too, right? Yeah. The government flip-flopping and changing ideas constantly because then they right. never commit to anything. Well, what the government can do is make sure that they don't step too far because you kind of, and now this is kind of weird because you don't want, you think of, you think of a company pushing the bounce, seeing what they can get away with. Everyone thinks that's a bad thing, but you need an opposing force because without anything opposing that, that is a bad thing. And then you have the government, which is a restrictive force. This is kind of starting to sound like physics, but whatever. That's um, important though. <laughs> and you have them kind of at knuckleheads with each other. And this is, this is stressful for all the bureaucrats and all the corporate heads who are actually, you know, resisting each other. But for the rest of us, it's advantageous for them to be having that conflict. Um, because essentially what it's doing is it's forcing one party to be honest and it's forcing the other party to stay vigilant. Um, and we benefit in the end, but to answer your question more directly, I think it can be done both ways. Cause one of the best ones I've seen was MPI in Manitoba, which is a horrible bloated and redundant government program, but they do a whole bunch of things, right. That aren't done as well in Alberta. 
um, which has um, private car insurance. Uh, and private car insurance in Alberta, if you're bringing a car into this province, was an absolute nightmare. Uh, and so you're paying more, but you're getting, you know, if you get in a car accident in Manitoba, all you have to do is just bring it to the auto center and you wait at one place. It's very um, centralized in Winnipeg. Uh, in Alberta, they call it communist, which is always funny, but uh, it's it's a social program that allows, I don't want to use the word socialist because it does have connotations towards um communism so i will be using the word social programs or social spending Fair enough. it's not wrong so i'm not gonna correct it because i because the stuff i will be talking about is i don't have any intention of having social spending lead into more collectivist um uh, uh lead into a more collectivist society i think the social spending should be only what the social spending is if you're helping the poor it's only helping the poor not with a view to help the poor rise up in a revolution. So just for some context then, what's the price difference in, in your car insurance moving from one province to the other? Slightly higher over here, but Slightly then again- Slightly higher or like how, 50% or 20%? Oh, or? not, uh, maybe, maybe around 20%, but the cost of living is a bit higher here. Winnipeg, uh, for those who don't know, Winnipeg, the cost of living is basically the best on the continent. <laughs> yeah, unless um, for, you're in Kentucky or something. Yeah. But it's important to note too. Um, so why Winnipeg has so many immigrants? Because they come over and like cheap everything. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and they work productively, which is nice because it benefits oh. everybody. Well, it's cheap university, cheap everything, and they come in and they work their butts off, and then they settle down and we're like, you know, Winnipeg, I can get used to this cold. Uh, <laughs> so we identified then that it, it should be necessary then for corporations to do some public works or social services. So I ask you then when corporations work their best or when business and economics works its best, it's with competition. But if there's only one, yeah. one service provider, there's no competition. So yeah. regulation basically has to serve as the opposing force of competition. Is that well, right? I think the best example of this is the cell phone industry in Canada. And everywhere else in the universe, cell phones seem to be a uh, well-managed thing. But in Canada, for some reason, it's like the corporate Gestapo is coming to get your your bucks for you know a limited data plan. And uh, for... but the phone service itself is actually cheaper than most countries. Um, like if you just get a basic plan and you're not streaming mm. YouTube in 4K and stuff, you can get a $40 phone plan, yeah. which is the same as it was 30 years ago to get a landline. So it's really cheap, relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, I'm told the plans in Canada, though, are like if you go to the States or especially places in Europe, even places in Eastern Europe, um, not known for their advanced technology, uh, they kind of we tell them how much we're paying and they gawk at us and laugh at us but the thing is is that the phone companies they're regulated based on an old model you know they're they're regulated based on like a landline model they're regulated based on this and the canadian government really put it in the comments if i'm wrong because my my i haven't looked at this issue in quite a while um is that uh the government regulation hasn't caught up, so they're not able to, you know, a new technology comes in. Everyone wants it and everyone should have it. Everyone should be able to talk to anyone else in Canada. That should be in the charter, but not the charter, the bill. Um, the, and uh, 
the ability for people to talk like that is somewhat restricted by the price of it. So, you know, you can get, um, like you said, you can get a cheap phone, but it's cheap phone. Yeah. You can get a cheap phone plan and a flip phone. I used to have one for the longest time, uh, up until I was like 28. I, was Man, really I got up. my first cell phone at 15 working part-time while I was in high school. Like mm-hmm. it, even, I, even in the nineties, it wasn't outrageously expensive. I think I got but, my first cell phone when I was 21. I was stupid old. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I guess what I wanted to get to though is um, with the cell phone service in Canada, you've also got other, other constraints to our service, like weather and sparsity of land and, you know, we're sparsely populated. I mean, not right. Land. <laughs> we have tons of land. And so it's, it's more expensive to set up towers across a country when there's only like 1 million people per city. Right. Spread across thir- uh, what? 40. That is a good point. So they have to kind of raise the price because we have so much landmass to cover. Plus there's winter. So you've got lines that go down and power goes down and all this stuff from just frozen well, lines and snow. Right. So then you like the government's job would to make sure that they don't start like ripping into well i guess that's the thing <clears throat> to actually start making the equation the government's job would to be to make sure that they don't gouge everything out of it out of the consumer because like the consumer does need to foot the bill and oh no you can't say that well no that's what you're doing when you're buying something they're making yeah. it so they can make a profit so they can make more of the thing it's like well they're they're and you know what they're a corporation so their their goal should be profit because if they are not profit then then they have to be subsidized which is a whole nother mess <laughs> and but your but job is that to regulation foot the oh sorry oh no but yeah but then if they start making you foot too much of the bill or if they start you know uh using tricks on you to get you to pay more than you need to um like zoom does stuff like you know, you sign up for one month and they don't cancel it and they just let you keep paying more until you realize you're paying more or something like that. That kind of stupid trick, which is shystery. And so the government's job is to, you know, regulate that, to act, to keep it from uh, going too far. But then the corporation also has a responsibility there to to its profits. If they're going to actually have to make a profit, then they have to actually... Um, perform the service and that's kind of what the other thing that has to regulate so you know your government needs to make sure that the that what's being bought is actually being bought so if someone sells you a car and you get a and you get a and you get a bicycle you know you're two wheels and an engine short of a car and so you you can go to the government and be like I paid $35,000 for, you know, a broken Canadian tire special bicycle uh, and you can send them off because it's, it's not good business practice. Right. So so, as an example of that type of regulation, when it was sort of discussed or the idea came up that cell phone service was too expensive in Canada, the government, I think, did step in to make uh, long distance phone calls free, if I'm not mistaken, or not free, but part of the plans. 
Yeah, when I was, that was back in the old days, they used to charge a long distance plan and count your minutes and then charge you exorbitant fees if you go over your minutes. I remember right? counting minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like having the clock, right? It was like, oh, we got to start talking. But, yeah, and what that bred was just like uh, long distance cards. So people were buying these disposable cards. You scratch off a thing, you call a 1-800 number, you enter the thing in, then you have to call this 1-800 number every time you want to make a phone call to somebody else. And it was mm-hmm. just like this huge roundabout process that just cost time and money from everybody. And right. the government was like, no, this is stupid. You yeah. have to give people Canada-wide cell service or uh, calling services or text services too, I think. They were right. charging long-distance texts back in the day too. Well, and that's the thing because like people in Canada move around a lot because we, we have that thing in our, in our Bill of Rights that says like we can live anywhere we want. Like the provinces can't like say no no you're not quebecois you cannot live here but or uh you can't understand our newfie speaks so you can't live here no we can't do that um, you imagine if everybody just moved to pei can't stop me <laughs> <laughs> PEI is an island province for those of us imagining like a party where everyone's there and just like you know where they're all shoulder to shoulder but it's the entire island yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got like Anna Green Gable stuff on. The line anyway. up to the bar would be across the bridge that crosses the street. <laughs> yeah. So it's like there's all there's like a bouncer on the outside of the Confederation Bridge just being like, name. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so one issue but, I have though with the corporate model is also well exemplified though in the cell phone service domain. Mm-hmm. Because the government auctions off spectrum, like the wireless spectrum that these cell providers use right. to transmit um their multiplex signals of phone right. calls and conversations and all that. So I think this model is dumb in the sense that the government could be issuing rent and maintain ownership of that public airspace. And that would make more sense to me than selling it outright on an auction block for a company to sell to another company or get acquired by another company. Like it's this roundabout way of having to like check every single time Rogers decides to make an acquisition, whether or not that it, it violates antitrust or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, all of that process is needless if they were just renting the airspace itself. Yeah. Frequencies. Uh, But, um, so to me, a cell phone service like that would make more sense run by the government as a rent collection because it is a public good, the air. Right. And it does make sense because the government should get first dibs on frequencies for things like national security, military frequencies. Um, and then like, then they can encrypt it and stuff like that. And they have sole use of that. And if anyone goes on there, you know, but the fun. reason they don't is because they want the company to collect user data so that they can buy it off the companies because mm-hmm. they're not allowed through our charter of rights to collect it themselves without a warrant. Right. Well, you bring up, you bring that up and that's actually an interesting thing. Cause that's a social service too. CSIS as a social service. Yeah. And like they're, we're collecting your data. Why? To keep you safe. Mm. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not really, I don't feel like, I don't know how this is going to keep me safe or, you know, well, we're only collecting your metadata, metadata. It's like, yeah, but that's not better. <laughs> but again, what bugs me about CSIS is unlike the States, you never hear from CSIS, right? In the States, they'll say the CEI did this operation and busted a, a big crypto mining underlord kingpin or whatever, mm-hmm. or some ransomware attackers or whatever, right? The CIA actually, after the fact, after they've conducted an investigation and given information to authorities, the FBI will raid people. But in Canada, CSIS is just completely silent. Well, that that's, means they're that's working. disturbing to me. Well, they're, they are, they're, uh, they're, uh, um, they're watching. Hi. Hi. Hey, see this guy. 
Um, you know, if you ever want to stop by and hang out, you can <laughs> let some other CSIS guy watch our conversation. Like, but, share, and subscribe. <laughs> seriously, though, CSIS. Subscribe. Um, but that's with an intelligence organization when they're not in the news, it's usually a good sign. <laughs> um, that means Hopefully. they're doing their job. Well, I'd like to uh, hear from them once in a while. Like, uh, my wife has met a couple of the directors of CSIS. Um, they're just at a, not a party, but like a, a, a formal a gala. Party, a gala thing. <laughs> and she was like, wow, they were really nice. And they I like, think that would do good for public perception, though, even. Just to have them, like, for instance, around the pandemic and stuff, right? If they're our central intelligence agency for the country, they should have been the first to step in and be like, okay, you conspiracy theorists, stop spreading misinformation. Like, it should have been CSIS's job, not just for, like, security and <coughs> criminals, but, like, pandemic security should have been an intelligence issue, in my opinion. They mm. could have sponsored commercials that taught people how to read statistics so that they stopped trusting graphs and, and headlines or, like, Facebook columns or you know what i mean like they could be doing things that are intelligence related and they choose not to well the intelligence is national security focused 100 percent. like it's but not a pandemic is national security it's just not an exogenous threat it's an internal threat yeah it kind of that's 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 kind of like you know it's like oh, there's a pandemic happening and ceases is like not my department it's like when um the CDC down in the States declared themselves to be uh, declared gun violence, a national health emergency. It's like, well, yeah, it's lead poisoning, but like, that's not their department. Yeah. <laughs> that's the Gunshot ATF. Victims don't die of lead poisoning. Like, there's literally the ATF, like alcohol, tobaccos and firearms. Like that's their department. And yeah. for the CDC to bump in and say like, you know, that's your social services, you know, meshing up to each other. Um, but to get back to what we were talking about, though, um, <clears throat> one thing about the cell phone thing is that um, something that's happened in recent years that's helping my family, especially who lives in rural Manitoba, is Starlink. And this is Elon Musk's, you know, crisscross of uh, uh, internet satellites, those tiny little satellites. Um, the orbital that, rubbish bin, as I call it. Yeah, but what the good thing about it is that my um my family in rural manitoba and in northern canada everywhere can now have access to the global compendium of human knowledge that is the internet and they could so, have built a cell tower <laughs> well it's cheaper than a cell tower and not really you're launching stuff into space like the fuel alone would be like 10 times more than a cell tower well no because they uh you're not launching them one at a time you're launching like 50 at a time and yeah. it's but a fraction of the cost one region right but it's a fraction of the cost to um what do you call it to launch those reusable rockets than say anything nasa or uh the russian space administration would would be but able a cell to tower is just an antenna you can build an antenna for a few tens of thousands of dollars it doesn't cost like you know rocket right. scientists and tons of fuel and and then these starling satellites aren't going to last forever a tower will last for like 100 years these satellites no, are only good for like 10 or 20. A while. No, no. Uh, I don't know. It sounds, I'd like to see the numbers on that. But what it's what what the reality of it is doing is that these people now do have that access worldwide in all the remotest parts. And you're not going to be able to recoup your costs serve like if you build a tower to service only one region. Satellites can move and can 
while they're orbiting. So everyone gets it. You, you essentially built towers to every single stupid little region and nook and cranny on the planet, um, except for the Antarctic and the like deep ice Arctic. Um, well, they could put them there if they wanted to. It's something about the orbital periods is like, it's like a giant torus around the earth, uh, but like, there's nobody living in the like direct North pole. Cause it's water. And yeah, but they do that because it's all basically trash. Like if you had them cycling in another orbit around the other direction, they'd be liable to hit each other mm-hmm. because they're all in low earth, earth orbit. That's the thing about Starlink is that it's got lower latency because it's nearer to the earth. Yeah. But the cost of that is the satellites don't last as long because gravity will pull them into the atmosphere and slow them down. Right. But they, they can don't measure have enough that propellant on them to keep going. They, they can measure that and know what's going to happen. And they can also come up with version two. It, it, it does seem like a better, better, the better alternative. Plus they're not wasting, you know, you're not, there is actual space trash out there. Thanks NASA for throwing a bunch of garbage up there and not really complaining though, <laughs> but because the stuff they did up there was pretty cool. Well, the but, science needed to be done. I'm not denying that. Yeah. But like things like the ISS were really important, but mm-hmm. launching China is really bad for that to scatter across an entire orbit is super dangerous. Like that's not very long term thinking. They, like Let's say it escalates and you do this for 50 years, right? You're yeah. going to have tens of thousands of satellites up there. Like, well, we already have tens of thousands of satellites up there. Okay. Tens of thousands more. Like, how many satellites do we have up there? there? There's a lot. But I mean, even just tracking all that, you know what I mean? That's what NORAD's for. No, but you don't know what China's doing. You don't know what Russia's doing. You don't know what anybody else is doing. Unless they voluntarily give you information, you don't have it. And like, what if all of India and all of Africa start launching their own Starlink alternative to compete with Elon Musk? We're going to say they can't because that would be too much garbage? Then we'd be um, like, as a world, favoring Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX. And that to me isn't, that's not corporate at all. That's entirely monopolistic and all monopolies are, are socialist. It's just a socialist for shareholders. And there's 11,139 satellites that have been launched, which only 7,389 are, are still in space. This does not include debris. Oh, you should see the debris clouds. They've got trackers and stuff you can look up yeah. online well, too. Yeah, that's what I'll NORAD to... does is it tracks via satellite everything in orbit, uh, starting yeah. from the nose cone of Sputnik, which is like NORAD number one. <laughs> so they've been but tracking they've got, that. They've got graphical things on uh, on the web. I'll have to find the website. Maybe I'll link it in the description here. But mm-hmm. you can actually watch it with like 3D animations, all the little pieces that they've got tracked. But right. the thing is, once two pieces of garbage collide, if anything breaks off them, it's almost impossible to track those pieces of debris because you right. can't see a screw. So when two large pieces break into Yet. small pieces, it becomes like well, that's that, damaging. That's that Kepler syndrome that yeah. we're really getting off topic here. No, but that's exactly <laughs> what it is. But the topic is basically talking about social spending towards social good right Mm -hmm. and an example of a company not doing a good job of protecting the public's interest with social privileges such as exclusive access to either spectrum for uh, cell phone services or electricity for uh, electrical producers like uh, manitoba hydro or even like insurance whether it's private or public and i think it's an important question to discuss the actual merits benefits pros and cons or whatever of 
both corporatizing and privatizing public services or services that re rely on public resources, such as mining. Mining is a huge one. Mm -hmm. You just give mining rights away to companies and let them do whatever they want with the money. They just destroy the earth and then they leave when it's done. Right. And Terrible. on the other side, of, actually, on the other side of that, if like, if I have uh, land, I should be able to do whatever the heck I want with it. Now, here's the thing. There's two rules. Don't hurt people and don't, uh, don't steal anything. I guess don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. But the, if you're hurting the environment, then you're putting, you know, and stuff sludging into the soil, that kind of stuff, environmentalism. I know I sound all, you know, hardcore, right. But I'm like really into environmentalism because I like nature and stuff like that. Um, That's hardcore left, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think Greta's an idiot there. So let's just save me there. <laughs> but what happens is like, if you, if you, if you don't mine responsibly, like you should be able to do with your land what you want. If you want to, if you find copper on your land and uh, you know, you just kick over something and you just like orange metal, is that copper? And you just, you know, ching, the eyeballs turn in. And so then you like get a prospect or you pay them. Uh, and then he says, yeah, this is, there's a vein here. And you say, all right, let's tear this up, you know, but then you don't follow their, you know, chemicals start leaking in, you dump your, uh, you dump the soil irresponsibly, uh, other mining things. You don't follow safety regulations for the people you hire, that kind of stuff. Like that stuff needs to be had because you can't just when you're pulling stuff out of the ground, you, there are still rules that you need to, that we've all agreed need to be made. Like your employees need safety equipment. That's like one of the first things. <laughs> and uh, if you don't provide that for them, then, you know, I'm trying to save on some money. Well, no. But what public need... benefit are we getting from giving corporations the right to pull out gold and make hundreds of millions and then have their shareholders write off as like capital gains so they don't even pay as much taxes on the money that they do generate? And then the companies send their income offshore so they don't pay taxes on that either. How is selling a mining right to a company that does that actually helping the public, especially when that company just gets up and walks away with pools of pollution left behind? Part of me, it's not just one or two. They part all of me do. doesn't care though. Like, I'm like, oh, they're not paying their taxes. I'm just like, so but isn't that you... a case for a socialist enterprise to have the government understand. do it rather than a company? No. Rather, a government do it slightly more expensively, but not destroy the the country doing it, and well, then keeping uh, all the money in house. I don't understand because you kind of skipped ahead there because you said like a corporation is going to do it bad, so we get the government to do it. No, no, you. What? <laughs> Sorry. You'd have you to change me. all of the taxation laws, all of the international finance laws, and you'd have to change environmental laws, and then you'd have to still regulate the whole thing. So you'd have to have a whole bunch of law. We Wouldn't it just make more sense to have a company run by the government? No, because then who would who would offset them? Like, then well, you'd who still would keep have the Senate check. and the Parliament, and it would be the same regulators regulating the same business. But the difference is your money wouldn't fly offshore to other countries. Or right. get hidden in some uh, Cayman bank or something. Right. Now, Norway seems to be the only country that's done this right. Because they had all that oil stuff they discovered off their coast. And then they they essentially took it. And the government had, was it, the government had shares. Sovereign wealth fund. Yeah. And then they just created a like a like a fund. Yeah, like you said. 
in it and then everyone just reaps the benefits from it so everyone's just got that doesn't also force them to put in caps like the bp oil spill was caused by not putting in a fail safe because a company yeah. was trying to save money it's the same right. thing with nat gas leaks in uh, in uh, california and every time there's there's a leak or a pipeline leak it's because they didn't put in a redundancy check because they were saving money right and i think the solution to this would be to spend a little bit more money ahead of time in the public's best interest in addition to reaping the benefits and rewards of the profitable business itself right but reduce the taxation burden on the rest of the country at the same time as fixing their pollution problem right but then you're kind of eliminating the free will of people to go out and uh start a mining company no they can still start mining companies right but then they have to do it through the government where they can mine in other countries (laughs) well i think that the just letting the government take it over is it, it it seems just it seems like a collective step and that like i don't really have anything invested in copper mining in northwest territories or like coal mining or nickel mining in ontario or something like that that seems to be that should be the purview of the people who have interest in the nickel mining or the coal mining or the the, the gas mining like that seems to be their purview the company itself is the one with the expertise now to keep them from getting anywhere that seems to be the thing that seems to be the thing that the government is best suited towards so like the company is going to have sorry i'm just getting ahead of myself here in my head the company's best suited towards doing the actual work the government's suited towards the regulation and uh legal aspects of it and i think letting just people freely confederate into a into a company should be something that the government shouldn't like you know you're not allowed to mine this because it could go bad or it could be this and we're like okay well then we'll follow the rules it's like no 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 but you still have the opportunity to potentially be a shyster about this so we can't trust you with a company and that just seems that just seems wrong and overly paternal in my head and but i don't know why hire we can't them just instead of letting them exploit the country well, why just does have everyone... those people do the same job but for the the government why does everyone need to go through the government the government is the people because anyways. it's a, it's a public resource <laughs> that they're profiting from that's the reason why we're bringing it up it's but not, it's not a public resource something productive on their own free free time and free will they're they're extracting something that will never go back into the but, earth and it's the population who owns that earth not the government and not a company no but the population owns the earth but you buy the rights like if you own if you own your house like if you have your own your land then that's your land and you have the, the laws of our land say that you have the right to do that with that land uh as you wish within the rules of um the Canadian uh, Constitution, which is you know all our laws, and so I don't see why someone. Because that's see what wh- I'm disputing makes sense. The idea of mining rights or selling spectrum or mm-hmm. you know what I mean, selling a national resource to me doesn't make sense. It should be rented out. That should mm-hmm. be something that the public maintains ownership of, but other people can profit from. But the benefits have to then come back at least in the form of taxation, yeah, but which these companies to... like Gold Corp aren't doing. Right. But then who's making sure that the corporation, that the government corporate, like government corporate, public, corporate, just keep it public corporations are notoriously 
bad though as well that, that, that's where transparency could fix it again we're talking about idealist not we're not saying how things function now but ideally how things would be in a perfect society it would not yeah, be ideally people could form their own company and not have the government you know uh tell them that they're not allowed to form that company <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> everybody has ideal. the right to form a company right and not have the government like only have the government come in when i'm breaking regulation like if i'm if i have a restaurant and I'm have the restaurant on land, and because the restaurant has to be on land, uh, then I have to rent out that land, even if I bought the land. Like then, but when you register a company, you also have to declare what you're going to do on that land. You can't just do anything you want. Now I got a GST money. Right. I mean, but you're allowed to do logic, whatever you want, but you have to declare your intention ahead of time so that they can regulate and monitor your usage. By that logic, we could re we could. Um, Oh, what's the word? We could take all of the McDonald's and call them ours because uh, the McDonald's are on Canadian soil. No, so because could... they're not extracting Canadian soil. That's the difference. Right, but they're using Canadian soil. They're on top they... of it, yeah. They're not right. destroying it. The soil stays there once they leave. As okay, opposed but... to mining, as opposed to spectrum, it's it's. What about aggregate exclusive. companies? What's that? What about aggregate companies? You know, they take the they literally dig a hole in a quarry or like rock mining. Yeah, same thing. But then like most of those are small, like rural businesses, especially in like Canada here. You get like uh I don't remember all their names, but you know, you see them on the highway. And but they but, need to get permission too from the government to do that. Right. And then they and they're just regulated rocks around. Too. Right. They're already regulated. So why not leave them alone after that? Because they're not paying taxes. <laughs> they're yeah, extracting they, national resources and they're not paying taxes. That's the I'm, problem. Are we sure that like an aggregate company is not paying taxes? Like all these companies well, are not paying taxes. All of them, but the international ones don't pay taxes. That's why they're international. It's so, so that they the, can move their money offshore. And then so the, the shareholders don't pay taxes. That's why we have capital gains is to avoid paying taxes. So I don't, uh, the, the whole point, the whole, you're, you're restructuring the whole system to make people pay taxes when we're and then we're making more efficient uh just everyday businesses that we have in order to make sure they pay a few more taxes like if i no, no, not if i have if i take every ounce of money i have and move it offshore as an individual and in order to not have that money like pay taxes i like it's perfectly yeah, like you with, as an individual making less than a hundred thousand dollars or whatever i'm not saying you but like anybody mm -hmm. most of the entire population of canada does not make a hundred grand mm -hmm. all of all of those people like i don't know what the exact percentage but i'm just going to say 75 percent of the population is paying an income marginal income tax rate of 35 percent mm -hmm. these companies and their shareholders are paying less than 15. i'm not so? saying we should take their money i'm saying they should just pay what i pay why would they get preferential treatment when I have less than them and they're extracting my resources to right. get rich? Like that doesn't make sense to me. I'm not talking about taking them their money just because they're rich. I'm saying they should at least pay taxes. They're not mm -hmm. paying any, hardly. Well, like that's the whole point of having an offshore bank is to avoid paying taxes. All of Right, what's well, the whole economy of Ireland was built off of like, uh, providing a tax haven for um, yeah. so imagine if everybody took that up that <laughs> really same opportunity another. there would be no tax revenue from the public and they would have to tax people even more that's insane 
we don't even have to raise taxes. We just need to enforce the taxation that's already there. Yeah. And then everybody's taxes would go down. Well, and, that and then comes, you can afford to buy their services. Well, that comes back to just blatant enforcement. Why not just... Well, because then it gets political, I guess. But like, you, we, we have tons of laws on our books right now that we don't enforce at all. Like, I jaywalk every third day uh, yeah. um i rarely like if the if the you know at a crosswalk when it says you know don't walk and the little red guy comes on i don't wait for the little white guy to you know come on you and have to describe i just walk <laughs> yeah well and the the point is it's a public resource it's like selling air it's not really like they discovered though. the air and, and made the air. The air okay, is something that everybody agriculture? owns. Like right? farmers like are growing stuff based on the public land, but like they've bought the land. That's the thing. Right. They but the own land is that land when they finish using it. That's the difference. They grow stuff on their land. And when they're done growing, the land is still there. It's well, not exhausted. Not well, no, they have the potential to actually exhaust that that land because the thing about the the farmland that's important is the is the soil. Yeah, but five ten years it'll rejuvenate. <clears throat> no, just yeah, from bird droppings, from grass overgrowth, oh, yeah. from a couple a couple seasons of dying and regrowing. You can, or you could end up with what happened in Mesopotamia. Like there's a it, the the fertile crescent nowadays is not a fertile crescent at all. It's a desert. Uh, because of human agriculture um not necessarily that could be well, climate change too well there's climate change but we we farmed the heck out of um the uh what's iraq now um the f- oh geez the fertile crescent what do they call that the the bread basket the tigris and euphrates river valley and they farmed it out and you know, Babylon just looks like a desert now because they just, they had poor farming techniques. They didn't know what we know now, you know, 6,000 years later. And there's also 80 million people drawing drinking water from that though. Like it's not the same thing. Well, our farming methods are extremely more efficient now. Um, Yeah. But we're also exhausting our freshwater resources. So that's another problem. We've got companies who own freshwater resources, even in Canada, but especially Mm -hmm. in the States, like Nestle, the Pepsi company, owns the only freshwater deposit in like Wisconsin or Ohio or something like that. Well, you get McDonald's who owns pretty much all of Idaho for potato farming (laughs) (laughs) or something. I think it's Idaho. Yeah. But again, the reason why I'm not against people owning farms is because that land will eventually replenish, but copper will never become copper again. Once you extract uranium from that section of earth, it will never reproduce uranium just like oil and just like air spectrum. When you own a piece of the spectrum for, for wireless, nobody else can own that. It's yours. Right. You, you can't, they can choose to split it and rent it to other people, but it's a limited resource. It's exhausted. Once it's sold once, it's a one day, one shot payday. And then you just own it. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is insane because it's a public resource. I don't care about people owning stuff that they produce or buy for themselves, like a car or a hammer or a computer or whatever. But the resource itself, the profit they're getting is from not only a polluting whatever, like we put all that aside, it's mm-hmm. not something they're generating, it's something they're extracting. Well, I think, I think you're going under the assumption that because it's within Canada's borders, Canada owns it and therefore you know, it's part of this, but it's, that's kind of an old feudal notion. This is my realm. Everything 
you know, up into space below and, and the core of hell beneath is mine. And, you know, the land is me. And so anything anybody does on it is in my name. And anybody who does something on this land that isn't within, uh, doesn't get my acquiescence gets You're misrepresenting killed. the case by no. saying I and me. I'm saying us. It's it, right. It, it, so the, the us, the I, the government is, you know, nowadays, well, no, I'm not because I'm describing a feudal lord. Um, and nowadays where we have a, um, you know, democratic system where the government's supposed to represent everybody. Now, it doesn't mean everybody owns all of the land and the thing, because then I could just go onto other people's land and be like, well, it's on our land. It's like, no, that's oh, not no. how it works. We you're, have property you're making here. making a straw man out of nothing. There's still property ownership. Right. Like nobody's saying you can't own property. So nobody's if, saying you can't have exclusive access or caveats or encumbrances. So if, I find, if I find coal on my land and want to mine it, the government all, all of a sudden takes charge of what's on my land? No, no you own the land. That. They can't mine on your land, period. Right. So I start mining it and I start selling it. That's where you're wrong because you're extracting from the soil. The, the But it's my land. I don't understand this. You live on top of the land. <laughs> no, I live. Okay, well, we do you own part of the this. Earth's core too? Like how far down do you go? Like, do you own the tectonic plates? At some point, you got to say the country is responsible for for being the, the steward of this we type don't of property. Have enough. We're, we're we're going. We're talking at assumptions which we don't know the law for. Hold on. Well, I know the law for like airspace, so you can have the same. You can just flip it around instead of from ground space to talk about airspace. Yeah. Well, that's right now. You own the air above your home. Are you saying that no planes can ever fly over your home? No, that, that would be ridiculous. And then no satellites can fly over your house specifically? Like, that would be absurd. Mm. Like, at some point, you have to nationalize the air and space around you because it affects everybody. What you do to pollute in your yard does affect your neighbor. And at some point, the government's got to regulate that, right? Yeah, apparently in the States, is 365 feet above ground, and you can't fly 83 feet above someone's yard and but you don't need to know the specifics to know that there are limits and that's what i'm getting at the limits don't make sense and below ground is all the way to hell so as far down as you want apparently we live on a sphere that means you own the land of some other person on the other side of the world no that's down to the core but (laughs) well it's it's i'm not trying to get that specific and technical i'm saying philosophically when you think about it when the air affects everybody in the country and the government we agree that the government's already supposed to be in charge of regulating it it then stands to reason that the people who are extracting benefit from that public space and not paying or contributing to public revenues Mm -hmm. is a wrong practice right no just by rationale alone that should be Okay, so say that again, sorry. Okay. When a company is profiting strictly from the extraction of a resource that affects everybody publicly in the country. You're right? saying because affects you everybody. Coal affects you see, your that's the caveat that you're putting in, is that you said affects everybody. It doesn't affect everybody. You should say Absolutely if they're profiting if they're profiting from a thing, like every t- everything affects everybody. Like No, it, not everything. If I sell you a hammer, it only affects me and you. 
Right. But if someone's extracting, um, if someone's extra- extracting, I don't know, nickel or potash in Saskatchewan, that really doesn't affect me. If you live next door and you smelled the pollution, you would know it does. Or right. It but most of the people living around a well. potash mine work in that potash mine. Yeah, but your well, where you used to be able to drink water in your backyard, your own personal backyard, you can no longer do that with a potash right. with a company next door. Right. So why? I, I don't understand why. Because like McDonald's you, you, doesn't poison the neighbor. No, That's no, no. the difference. Owning a McDonald's doesn't hurt the person owning it next to them. And when they pick up and leave, another building can come in because the soil's still there. When you take down a mountain full of gold, there's no mountain left. And it will never be a mountain again. Right. Which it's is completely why we have, gone permanently. Well, that's why we have like... That's what makes it public. I, I don't agree because what you do on your land, especially even underneath the ground is up to you. And if you screw, and if the other people, the affecting other people part comes in when you actually start affecting other people poorly, And then, you know, you can have uh, the government, but not just the government, but you can also have um, a third thing that we haven't talked about, which is um, civilian organizations come in and lobby for, um, you know, mistreatment and, you know, get the government, kick the government's butt into actually, you know, doing something about it. Cause sometimes honestly, the government needs that. And so I don't see the abridgment of ownership rights as, you know, being infringed just to, um, this, because I, I see if you push, if you make it, if you know if it happens underground and you're 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 messing with this or that and all of a sudden it, that makes it become a government thing then the government's just going to go around taking everything and then you know i don't see that as a as a solution at all but he uh, did mention something there that i so wanted to say lobbyists to. and committees then how would you contrast the two uh lobbies i'm assuming just by your tone that you were against the committees but you were in favor of lobby groups i'm in favor of some lobby groups but i can't be if i'm in favor of one lobby group i can't be not in favor of another because then everyone should have free speech philosophically the existence of lobby groups as a force to reckon with in the commercial sector philosophically i'm for them personally i think they're annoying (laughs) (laughs) so like I feel like anyone should be able to lobby for anything, you know, absolutely anything. And whether if people listen to it, uh, like ideas need to be put forth and a lobby is one way of doing that. Um, now a lobby that just gives money, I'm ethically, uh, opposed to that. Like, you know, just bribing, uh, straight up bribing, I'll give you money for this. Um, now there's some, like the CCFR takes money and they use all that money to lobby in the form of, uh, public relations they make uh they make like youtube videos and they make they put like youtube spots and like here's what gun owners do in canada and then they lobby um and ha- most of their money actually goes to legal battles that they're fighting against the government for you know so the government doesn't take their stuff um but they don't directly uh they don't directly lobby now you get lobbies that give money to you know will support your your funding campaign that that i don't like um but the idea of somebody being able to be like here's an issue that's happening they're cutting down trees in northern saskatchewan everyone's like 
I didn't know you had trees in northern Saskatchewan. And so, yeah, there's tons. There's Canadian Shield up there, and it's diminishing, and everyone's just like, okay, the lobby informed the public about this, and now it's an issue that can be addressed. Um, that's, I agree with. And so that's the free speech aspect of it. No, but when they start saying, you know, uh, when they when they start giving money to, I don't know, any party, even like the Saskatchewan Green Party or something, you know, that's when I start getting a bit. Now, a committee, what is a committee? I guess that's a, that's well, a, it's group, like a of group of political specialists that are, you know, you don't want ignorant regulators, right? You want competent ones. So they'll establish a committee to be more well-informed than the rest of the political okay. body. Yeah. So full disclosure, I, I really should do this. I am actually part of a number of political bodies. <laughs> so um, one of the biggest ones I'm a part of, no, that's not big. One of the ones I have the most. Um, you might not want to reference it just in case they don't want to uh, be associated with our channel. Okay. I'm associated with, say. I'm associated with um, uh, groups, two groups of archival uh, associations in Canada and very deeply associated with them. Um, and mostly this just entails talking about making new websites and, you know, how do we get archives to people in, in Canada? How do we make people realize that archives are actually a thing? Um, and um, one of them is involved in getting funding, which with, with which we have, um, hmm, I just no, want to I inject guess. my own full disclosure first. No, yeah, I'm first. wondering how far I need to go with my disclosure. No, anyway. you're done. You just need yeah, to I'm mention okay. that you have a conflict of interest. That's yeah. all. Yeah, go on. That's well, it. I just wanted to mention that. Oh, I thought Free you had source. some. That's my, that's my commitment. Yeah, so I'm not, and I've dealt with committees and I've dealt with consultants before. Um, now, committee, I guess, needs to be done because you can't just have, you know, government understands of itself somehow that they can be you know you get too many people together and you end up with too many cooks in the kitchen and so mm. what they do is they, okay you 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 and you you know it's like what is you don't want a committee bigger than like five people or something or else just be like I mean, nothing will get done um UN. yeah <laughs> well it's kind of nice that the un doesn't get anything done we should go to war well maybe we shouldn't i don't know let's discuss Their objective it. is to prevent war and they don't prevent any of them <laughs> well, Anyway, that's, <laughs> anyway, that's another topic. <laughs> the UN, the most useless, useful organization we have. Without the nitty gritty, like getting down to counting how many committee members you need or whatever. Yeah. Um, you're saying that regulation should be governed and we should have competent governors regulating, which means the establishment of a committee is one way of going about this. As competent as possible. Sometimes you don't yeah. really have a choice. You have only like... Sid idiot and so my next dummy question McGee is, go up for election. <laughs> is there a committee that oversees the committees to see that they're actually getting not just preferential treatment and nepotism or like giving jobs out to their, their favorite staffers when they get prominent positions in politics? Like the problem of the watchers watching the watch. Like who watches yeah. the watchers? And at some point like this. This the, is the, the fatal the, flaw of democracy itself, though. This is fundamentally a huge question. What's the, it's, well, the, the thing that a lot of countries did to deal with that was create a ca uh, another cast and this cast was ending up being as corrupt as that. the eunuch cast was a lot of times what happened and you get them watching the the palace and maintaining stuff so they wouldn't make little airs all over the palace with you know the pretty princesses and 
this is where that term comes from, you know, who watches the watchers. And so, you know, you make sure that the watcher isn't going to succumb to uh, the temptation. But then what happens, the eunuchs end up being a political power in themselves, um, especially in places like China, where um, they became like masters of the court and therefore masters of uh, uh, the, um, the, the country, this giant empire at a time, and they were the watchers. So then who watches them? Well, you don't have, you can't create another set of eunuchs because then they'll just have the same problems. So at some point you just have to have, you know, uh, everyone watching everyone else. And, and that's, that's where transparency comes in, right? Right. Because that's why when you have, you know, the corporations saying the government's being an idiot and you have the government saying, you know, corporations are being an idiot and have the civilian population, the, 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 the I guess, us talking about how, you know, stupid you're both being. And then you have like other NGOs being like, well, he's polluting the water table. So we have everyone watching everybody and not in like a communist way where it's like, you know, my mom said she didn't like glorious leader. It's like, you know. It's just we, trying to prevent leveraging of the law, right? Right. We're leveraging each other's perspectives in order to see everything at once. I don't need to be a watchdog of things in. Okay, um, so how do you how do you watch a corporation whose records are private then? That's my next question. Because at least with a government operation, the whole public could say, hey, you're wasting money here. You're wasting money here. Here's a suggestion how to do it better. Like the public could contribute to the betterment of the company in the public's best interest under my scenario hypothetically, but that can't really be done with a private corporation who's given granted a monopoly license for, for say mineral rights or air spectrum or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So there's nobody watching the corporation, even though we, what we can see is already corrupt. Well, you can, there's, oh, okay. I'm going to, man, I'm just using a ton of these today where, where there's smoke, there's fire. So you can't see their records, but oftentimes you can infer anybody who's done like word or number puzzles knows that you can you don't have to directly see something in order to infer its existence uh and so you can tell based on certain like practices and then that certain things that you can look for um you know being able to well the people the police do this all the time it's like how does this guy living in this horrible neighborhood afford that car and that cell service and that you know this and that and have like all this stuff and then they you know pull them over and they find a ton of drugs in this truck yeah <laughs> with an oil company that's that's it's too late then you've already it's... polluted the entire you know gulf of mexico and it's like oh you didn't spend an extra two thousand dollars on a, a backstop valve well it is too late and it's always going to be too late unfortunately and but if it's... you could see ahead of time people could complain before it becomes a problem Right. And we have that ability to complain before it becomes a problem. Like we have, we like, but not if you're blind, if you can't see what the company is doing until after it blows up, that doesn't well, help anything. Is, is that no matter what the problem of the public again, no matter what system we put in place, there's going to be failures. And like, you're never going to stop, uh, you know, you're never going to stop someone from cheating the system. There's always going to be someone who's going to be a bit successful in it. That's and, cynical well no you, you it's 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 the reality of everything like you can't stop all vehicle deaths you're not gonna be able to uh like we, we haven't could. even it would just cost too much right we not haven't that we can't it's well, and it would cost, cost too much not just money it would cost too much for a society as a whole yeah I know. like and it wouldn't be worth it so we allow some sort of and like you're not gonna stop people from getting sick you're not going to stop people from breaking their leg. You're not going to stop people from making bad, you know, personal 
choices in diet and uh you know oh i'm gonna buy this thing and then they get home and like why did i buy this thing and like that's never but gonna if you're stop building something that's known to pollute and you don't build a redundant safety check everybody in the world could have seen that company coming you're acting like it's just this nobody could have seen it come like we all know that redundant safety checks are best when it concerns the environmental hazards that you're transporting, right? We don't like, though. Like, no, we know it, but we can't infer that everyone knows it at all times. And some people go in like, eh, I don't know, I look at Chernobyl or something. You see, oh, well, that was, I'm not going to say that was bound to happen, but oh boy, did the Soviet system make it, you know, a precursor. And like, it's the only way to have stopped every chernobyl from happening would be to have gone to war with the ussr which would have caused 16 chernobyls and you know billions of deaths it's i think that's another straw man though because we know no. how to make safety valves for reactors so that right so did the down. so did the soviet union <laughs> and they chose not to right but if the public would have been informed ahead of time during construction and would have been participant in the extraction of those resources and the construction of that plant if the public could have told the government what to do which they couldn't but if they can like in canada and you're building a reactor and they show the plans to the public and one scientist decides to write a phd thesis on why it's dumb to not put in uh, one of those backstop valves so that when the reactor heats up, it melts the plug and the plug drains the reactor and then it doesn't get a runaway. Uh, right. And how long up. does that take? Like we have, it just costs a little bit more. That's it. It costs a little, but the thing is, is that if everyone, like you need to give enough time for the entire population of the world to read it, or you but need to give enough... your country. It, right. But your that's people. still like, I'm not going to care what someone in St. John's has to say about my nuclear reactor. If you're going to get PhD I? out of it, you will. If you let scholars do their thing and actually contribute to the country, that's what they'll do. Right. It will help the country do the smartest thing. Why should I be beholden to the collective when I'm doing my own work? And why? Because and like this doesn't scale either. So like if yeah, I'm going to make GitHub works perfectly fine. No, I mean, like if I want to make a personal decision, I am not going to, you know, I'm not going to put it up to a democracy. I'm the dictator of my own life. I'm going to make my decision. I'm going to make all my own bad financial decisions and I'm not going to con consult, you know, six, uh, uh, you know, data analysts every time I want to make a purchase. It's like, I, but for it, public it, extraction, the social mm -hmm. goods that we're extracting for private wealth, that's what mm -hmm. we're talking about. So mm -hmm. when it comes down to how does something fail in a mining project, contamination of soil and water that affects tens of thousands of people, if not more, or right. a water table that people rely on, or a native reserve that people live on. Mm -hmm. Those types of things should be outsourced to the public. Absolutely. Right. Especially but when I the drawings and the, and the plans themselves don't include safety checks. Like I agree they should be made act like available to the public, but whether or not we should like require the public to read, that's not thing but like and then but who are you protecting you're protecting somebody who's not even paying taxes and making you pay more to subsidize them well i'm not protecting them i just don't care what they're doing they can do whatever they want to do but as you long should. as it the money hurt. you're earning goes to them it should be going to you you earn your money for yourself and you're paying to subsidize them that doesn't make sense to me but if i worry about where every single one of my cents goes i'm not going to be able to do this like i don't like i'm trusting people to just do their own stuff and if they get out of line i'll you know give them a smack but 
you don't personally have to do it. If you're not interested, just ignore it. Somebody right. will. Some nerd out right. there will care enough about their area and that's or what will I'm write saying. a thesis on it or whatever. Right. And that's what I'm saying. You can have uh, them we're building a plant and then, you know, the plans are available, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then anybody who wants them can go and, you know, if they see something wrong, they can form a lobby and then they can have a, uh, what do you call it, like a tete-a-tete or a, like a town hall or something and discuss it out and the, 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 the company building the plant or the factory or the whatever can say, here's what we're doing, you know, here's what actually what we're doing. And they can actually discuss that with the people in the neighborhood. And like a lot of times that does happen. It's um, a black box though. They're not required to disclose any of that beforehand. Right. Now you're being cynical. <laughs> you know, it's literally the way it is. The government right. has made it a black box. They have private rights. Corporations are legal entities. They don't mm -hmm. have to disclose any of that to anybody but the regulators. That's the problem that I'm trying to address by having a government maintain ownership to which they provide transparency and all of those details towards the public should the public choose to look at it. See, you could also have me, journalists look into it for the public, right? I really don't see how ownership of everything changes everything because nationalization of just all the land beneath like three feet just seems like uh, too extreme. Call it when, 50 feet then. How many no. people dig more than 50 feet down? How well, many people is that really affecting? Right. But I think what mines go hundreds of feet so it actually right. matters to mines and let them but what is i just i don't, I don't see why you're i don't know anyway all right but, we'll move on i got other questions for right me. i think enforcement or in giving the the government more teeth in that enforcement regard and then making sure that enforcement is separate from the executive is uh not well not the executive but the uh because a lot of times, well, they're not enforcing it because there's an interest in the government. And so making that, you know, enforcing it, damn the political consequences might be a better way of doing it. Um, because, you know, the police went in, well, this looks bad for my campaign. Tough shit. <laughs> <laughs> like if you, and that's the thing, I have, I have sympathy for people you having free will over their land. But if you screw up, my sympathy ends. That's the thing is that like, if you get caught, Oh boy, if you are found to be doing something against the law, like, well, pay up. Well, you have to pay damages. That's the thing. And that's where it is. But companies can just walk away. They're not people. You can't lock up a company. People can just walk away. Yeah, but companies are the ones liable, not people. Right. And they should They're be limited liable. liability corporations. So you can make them responsible all you want and charge them all you want. Doesn't mean they're going to pay. Right. Like, Intel just Not got against. a European uh, fine of like what a huge fine. It was like $20 billion or something like that. Mm. After 10 years of disputing it and through appeals, they got out of it through a loophole. They never paid a dime, but they obviously were charged with wrongdoing. They mm. obviously did something wrong and the public obviously suffered damages and nobody's responsible for an international company. Right. That to me is an issue because you're harming people for profit, but not to profit a bunch of homeless people who need it. You're harming the people who pay the least amount proportionate to their wages and taxes, contribute the least productive labor, and who side skirt all of right. But why do why does my money have to go to poor people who need that who need my money? Like I, I understand a limited liability company. I understand why they do it. 
because like you know you buy a ship and the ship sails out and gets hit by a thing yeah you don't want to be 20 million dollars in debt right you don't want six people to be broke and all of a sudden you know the uh you know a couple ships go down and the entire economy of liverpool is just wiped out and the british empire is just like you guys screwed up (laughs) but it's not hyperbole look at purdue the Sackler family are all billionaires, not just one billionaire who gives out a couple million to his family. Like all of them individually are billionaires and they're walking away from an opioid crisis they actively pushed and mm-hmm. peddled because their company's liable and they're just closing the door of the company. How does that benefit anyone in the public? Not to mention cover the harm they've caused. Right. Tons of money by causing harm and they get to walk away. That to me is just insanity that you told. Well, the government should be coming in to actually I feel like there's like other stuff we don't know, like some political reality that allowed them to get away with it. But like the they government fun. should they contribute to political campaigns. That's why. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. And, and like, judges, because the government, that's judges. the thing. That's the, that's the teeth I'm talking about that the, the government needs to actually like enforce their own laws and uh, they're not. And because, well, it's a political reality. Yeah. I understand real politics, but it's, I'm not too worried about government, about, you know, if I'm having mining or I keep going back to mining company, I'm going to make something else. It's, up. it's fine. It's a good reference. It's, it's simple. Everyone understands it. If I have a mining company and I'm paying all my employees and then someone comes up to me and says, well, your money should go to the poor people of Canada. I'm like, why? I'm already paying 600 people like a living wage. And like, that's not even including my office staff. Like, why should I? Why should I? The answer is because you're making that money off of public resources. You're not making it. I'm making it off of or refining a product. You're making it off of raw resource. Hold on, you're making it off of raw resource extraction. It would be totally different if you extracted the nickel and then purified it into ingot yourself. They're not doing that. They're sending it to refineries. Same with the oil, which is a refinery who. Hires other people. Yeah. Right. There's nothing wrong with division of labor, though. Nothing wrong with refineries. No. But the people making money on the public resources should be contributing to public social services. I'm just not buying the connection between extraction and public ownership. I'm sorry. That's the only thing I'm not buying. (laughs) Fair enough. We'll move on to something else then. Okay. Um, Another company, a question I had for you is uh, like we could go into like forestation and stuff, but it's all. Basically the same as mining, right? I feel like we'd need a forester for that. Because <laughs> I don't know I'm enough about forestation. It's not just about planting it be trees. Rational. Because China planted like, we planted 6 billion trees. And everyone's like, yeah. And then they made a desert bigger because apparently it just made everything worse. And we're like, okay, it's a lot more complicated than we thought it was. <laughs> yeah. what, what I'm saying is they're all similar conceptually. We're talking about public land and then somebody profiting from it and then avoiding the taxation after that profit. But I'll move on to other non-mining yeah, related yeah. issues because I got some other questions for you. I want to I want to see what you think of these. So um, what would you think of uh, registered universities across the country? What would you think of uh, having government, some process of, of government being delegated to universities and have universities However, they want to organize themselves, come up with the answer to the solution they're delegated. Okay. But have so, um, universities and scholars included as part of government itself. Okay. So, kind of a Plato, we need to be ruled by the philosophers. Well, 
not in the last, but just portionally. Well, you know, you know what I mean. It's it's, fishery it's, it's, should it's, it's be the a hyperbole east and west coast. for like if, Manitoba should have no input whatsoever on fisheries, for example. Oh, oh unless you're oh, fishing gold in the Bay, Great Lakes really. in Hudson Bay, yeah. Saskatchewan then. <laughs> yeah, Saskatchewan well, that's the thing. Like, you know, Saskatchewan has a lobby saying, you know, we free the fish and BC and the Maritimes are just like, would nope. you <laughs> off? <laughs> it's like, can we talk about, you know, Saskatchewan doesn't really Same with much. Alberta oil. Like other yeah. provinces should have nothing to do with Alberta's oil. Well, Saskatchewan oil might have something to say about it, but that's just competition. Now, going to the universities, I think I'm actually going to come down on the government on this side because the separation of government and university, because um first of all uh on if we flip the coin for half second uh mm-hmm. i don't like the idea of the government um running a university i think where universities should be just free spaces for anyone to say whatever the heck they want yeah, i said the like, other way around university no, no i know i know and so what when you turn that so i'm gonna flip that coin back oh, again i got you sorry yeah. so when i flip that coin back again i don't think that the university's shown an ample amount of responsibility in the last 10 years um, in its relation to government. They, uh, they don't really, they haven't really, I have a lower esteem of the institution as the, uh, the university as an institution than I did uh, about 10 years ago. And mostly this is from me actually going into one certain aspects of it um such as like participation awards it being run like a uh you know the administration running it instead of the uh teachers making it focus on you know a business rather than it being you know a place of learning and i don't see it as a place um of the creation of philosophers you'll you'll see diamonds in the rough but there's part of me sees not part of me i see i'm gonna actually stand behind what i'm talking about but um the the university how do i say this is kind of a shadow it's a place where you go to think about things it's it's kind of a place where you go and it's supposed to create versatile minds that are able to act kind of like on higher uh you know, you went to university. Well, you have a certain higher level ability that we can expect from you. Nowadays, everyone just goes to university. Anyone can get a university degree. I don't think the university is anything, creates anyone more special uh, than it did before. Second argument being, and this that first argument is like, if you give everyone a participation award, the, the degree means nothing. And I've complained about this in the past, but um, and from firsthand experience. The second argument being is that you go to university and you have people, this can be kind of a less cynical argument, is that if I'm studying Shakespeare, that doesn't make me an expert on foreign politics. It makes me an expert on Shakespeare. And we need experts on Shakespeare. Uh, strangely enough and we need experts on you know mesopotamian uh you know funeral rite rituals and that's what you go for you have these and these people are good at what they do but they're not strictly governors and i think governors necessarily have to come from every walk of life 
uh, we can't just have um, the university dictate what's right and wrong because we've been doing that in the last 10 years and it's gotten us into a lot of deep trouble. Uh, you know, we have what I was discussing in university right now becoming um, verbatim pretty much the debates we're having in the public sphere now. And so it, it, it's, it's quite jarring actually, but the, um, I think we need people from all walks of life. We need contractors, we need lower class, we need upper class, we need businessmen, we need, uh, you know, we need hippies and tree huggers and miners and truckers and I think and that's the electorate though, right? Yeah. That's I'm the sort electorate, of suggesting splitting the need... electorate in half having some be representative officials in government and some being a group, not an individual at a university, but groups at the university coming to consensus. Okay. That to me would make sense. Like if you had Sounds... an open forum discussion and people in the crowd participated with ask me anything type of stuff. Right. And you publicized it and put it on YouTube and stuff, you know, and you had students who are part of marketing and advertising actually get real world experience in publication doing this type of thing and let the university sort out how they want to do it whether it's by a contest or by a sitcom reality tv show style or if they just want the leads the leaders of all the faculties in the university which is what like 12 or 16 people or something like that mm -hmm. however they decide to do it and then just get their opinion at least have a formal protocol of getting university opinion and involvement in complex issues that I think regulators clearly don't understand. Like no, I think that's already that. happening to some extent. And it's happened. But the thing is, it's happening slow. You can't do this quick. And I think it's already happening with people. Well, that's what you we're doing with it, though. I agree. But I say it's already happening. <laughs> and it's, you know, you get people you know, like there's, um, what do you call it? There's people online right now. Like anybody can go online. Any professor can start a YouTube channel if they don't care about tenure <laughs> and, and say whatever they got tenure. They're fine. Yeah. It's like, guess what? I've got tenure now. Let's talk about crazy stuff. And that's what uh, Sean Carroll did. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's exact. That's a great example of that. And whether or not they're right doesn't matter because that's part of the medium is that, you know, one per one professor says, here's what I think should be done. And blah, blah, they get 30 views. That's good. And, uh, that's all. And then this is coming from our channel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, another professor at the same institution can be like, um, you know, I disagree. Here's my rebuttal. And this is essentially the, you know, peer, the uh, journal process that was, you know, it's been, it's outdated but it's democratized because now anybody can take part in it. Um, I think- I think we should what, encourage that. We okay. should encourage it. And like, we shouldn't just have Jordan B. Peterson up there doing it. You know, he's probably the best example of this, you know, yeah. literally saying, what if I put my lectures online? Oh, people are watching them. That's really strange. Uh, MIT and also, awesome for that too. Open Courseware is one of my favorite channels. Yeah, um, and the thing is, is that the medium itself, acts as a town hall because anyone can go at any time because it the problem with a town hall is that you have to be in town uh you and have only to be one speaker at a time right <laughs> so you can well you like can comments are great debates stuff like iq and you have like a iq squared has debates which are actually they great now they have like anyway it's Aww. like a game show now it's not even a debate <sighs> they have rapid fire rounds oh jeez. You have one Sorry. minute to talk about a complex issue. Go. 
the gods are angry with us. Yeah, like they've Americanized it so, so much, it's not but even. The funny. thing is, I is expect that... hoedown music every time the intro starts now. The the thing is, is that when someone gets um, the thing about a town hall and the open the open platforms that we have now, uh, in that regard, are that they are subject to criticism on a massive scale and that's almost what's great about them like anybody can be like you're stupid you will you go on something like um that is the point of them that's what right. makes them great and so you go on to i don't know you go on to like cbc and like they're saying you know we need to build a wall between manitoba and saskatchewan and everyone in the comments will be like you're an idiot blah blah blah, blah. and then they have the opportunity to change turn off the comments and you know that's no, they should never have that opportunity yeah cbc immediately deny them that right <laughs> yeah so like leveraging free speech is one thing that the university is good at and i think they're failing at it miserably I um, agree. and to outsource government I think the government also on the other side of that, I'm gonna flip that coin around again, um, is that the government's already outsourcing themselves to some extent to the to the um, to oh, the what? universities, and which is frankly not a bad move because they're like, I need an expert on concrete, and they call up a chemist to be like, Yo, you're an expert on concrete, yeah, and it's like, Yeah, I invented three types of it, yeah, yeah, cool. Anyway, <laughs> I got this project, and I need to know if it's good because I'm going to be presenting this to the electors and blah, 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 blah. And if anyone's going to vote on it, I need some actual science for it all. I don't know. The problem is they do it by contract. So, so they select one researcher to find the, the results that they want sometimes, and they coerce results from them because it's all backdoor deals. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is it should be open so that not just one chemist is looking at the same thing. They can actually peer review the results being sent back to the government. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of more... contracting it out to an individual lab, they should just say, hey, we need a lab to do it. This is our budget. And then have everybody kind of do it. Right. And but they I can choose to. They can what choose that to would need would be some sort of system of actual open, like, uh, oversight. Like GitHub. <laughs> well, like GitHub, but like almost an open source government, uh, which would be, I, I'd be in favor of seeing if that would work because you know if you think government's a mess now oh boy wait till it becomes open source it'll be a <laughs> glorious cacophony of democracy and like democracy is supposed to be messy yeah. it's supposed to be real messy and that's you know it's working when it's messy and, and the thing um, is, all of those responses are data like mm -hmm. even after the fact if you've made the wrong decision you can count all the people who were wrong and be like look it's not just us it was 68 percent of you who also told us to do this right so right. It, it would actually help the politicians not take blame for things too like it actually works in the, ben the benefit of the politicians at the yeah. same time i remember specifically there was a city planning decision to be made at the u of m the university of manitoba not michigan or maryland um <laughs> that uh don't you call it college down there anyway some of them are universities <laughs> okay in the comments if you can explain to me why you guys call it college and not university please write that essay for me but um <laughs> uh the Same reason they say y'all <laughs> what's well, a contraction i don't know uh but i think you actually join a college that's part of a university. And then the college is the thing you're going to. Anyway. So like the university is the building or the place and the college is the... Well, there's different colleges in universities, but we focus on the university as a whole, whereas the Americans focus on the college itself. That's so weird. 
Eh, yeah, it's different, but um, they both work. Yeah, <laughs> but works. this is weird. The uh, it was they talking about? You said the U of M did. Oh yeah, the city planning. So what they did was they um. They had a city planning thing where they had this golf course set shut down right outside of the U of M and the city got a hold of the land because the golf course just, I don't know what happened, but for some reason the city, uh, or no, the university got a hold of the land. And so the city put together this competition where a bunch of city planners would put forth proposals and then they put the proposals out and they had people write in or like, I don't know, somehow give their opinion on which ones seemed to be the best. And you could, you know, talk about it. And they had them up in this room for like, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, I think, or a week or two. So everyone could just file through, look at them, and go, oh, I like this one. Oh, this one's got more green space. And, you know, I need to talk about it. And that's, that's it's, I thought that was a neat way of going it. The problem about it was, is that it's still an empty golf course, as far as I know. Um, and that was like five, six, actually, that was probably 2015, 2014-ish. See, I think the problem with it was the comments weren't posted. People right. could talk about it and walk by it and discuss it, but there's no way for the actual organizers to collect any of those comments. Yeah. People like this one, and that's the thing. The organizers will have veto. Well, not the organizers, the, uh, the people actually in charge of the project will be like, everyone seems to like this one more. Democracy says this one, but it's got some problems. Now, we think elements of this one would work too. So they don't need to actually take the public as, um, you know, the public as. Yeah, they're not the executors. They, they but just offer they can an take input. it into account, and yeah. you know, it, people will generally be like, "Oh, I like this." At the end, anyway. So that's how they built the World Trade Center, like the new one. How they because oh, okay, everybody yeah. was in so much disagreement about it. They found out who who wanted which one the most, and then they actually picked the second best option because it made more sense, or something like that. Yeah. They didn't like, actually pick the, the first choice, though, but they did take into account the public's opinion. Now, the other thing about the public's opinion is that it can be hilarious. You know, what should we name it? Well, we should name it the giant phallus and put the Enterprise on top and have a restaurant in the Enterprise that shoots phasers at poor people. It's like, why does everyone vote for this? It's 100%. The codpiece log lobby. Well, like Bodie McBoatface. That was <laughs> that, great. That was great. I loved it. And they actually, they actually had the spine. To name the ship Bodie McBoatface, or I think they named the tug Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> and, that was brilliant, though, because it made everybody smile. That's like the yeah. whole point of it. Yeah, and so they screwed like, up. All right, it's yours. You can but do what you want with it. It's there just are, um, when you give people direct democracy powers, sometimes they'll misuse it when they know that it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's okay. But the, so you have to take the public with a bit of a grain of salt. And, uh, and I think the university is a nexus to go because the, there's a lot of, the, as much as I hate a lot of what they're doing, it's still a nexus of expertise. You know, if you want to, where is, where can I go to get a lot of expertise? It's like, well, Red River College in Winnipeg or, uh, or uh, university in, in any town, um, there's, you'll generally find people that have some expertise there, whether it be the teachers, the students or something. And that is something that you can leverage. And I think you can't leverage it directly but you have to leverage it based on what project you're doing at that time. Um, and if you need like an expert in, you know, atmospheric science, cause you're putting up, uh, I don't know, you're, you're putting in an airport and something and the people around there are worried about uh, exhaust fumes. 
and then you bring in a guy going like, there's nothing but Cessnas coming through here. It's going to be no more than car fumes. And the people are like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, that's what you'd use it for. Simple, stupid, banal stuff like that. Because most of the stuff that government does is stupid and banal. And stupid is in like boring, not like stupid isn't stupid because we're all stupid. <laughs> yeah, but, but given this type of a setup, like if they had it just hypothetically in, in Michigan where they had lead in their, in their water because of the pipes were all old and outdated, right? The mm-hmm. people would have forced that to go through. If yeah, they like in this type of an option, well, regardless of the price, they would just say, I don't want my kids to grow up retarded because of lead in the water. Yeah, can't they say that would have forced the government's hand on this, but they didn't. Well, asbestos, that's, that happens asbestos, with asbestos. Yeah. If any, like you get an office building and if, if someone finds out that there's asbestos in the walls, the entire office building will let the world know. Yeah, uh, and they close and down, least, they set up like they completely. At least in Canada. Them. Canada, they'll, I've seen, I've seen offices and like, uh, I think Red River made a fuss at one point and it was a fuss that everyone heard about. And so that's a good example of, of that, I, I would say. And you know, you have to, you can't like, you can't win the next election if you just let the asbestos office building get away with having asbestos. But I think in, in the it. States you could. And I'm yes. worried that our country is becoming more and more like the States. Whereas maybe today we are, we would all be outraged if they didn't implement asbestos remediation protocols. But in the future, when people just don't care because they'd rather be playing PlayStation or something, yeah. I'm worried that we'll become more like the States, the more privatized we get. Hmm. that's my sort of input just to the university well, thing. Cause I agree with most of what you that's said. The anyway, thing so that goes back to, that goes back to the teeth. Now with asbestos, <laughs> luckily is probably not much left <laughs> sitting around. Uh, and if you find it, it's going to be, Whoa, there's still asbestos left, but there's other issues um, that would be analog to this. So I think again, it would come down to making sure that the government still has teeth and now private, I'm not so I'm not as cynical about private interests because I think people should just go about their lives with their own private interests and the government should the government does need to be there and it does need to do its job but we need to make sure that the government does do its job and is doing its job it's like yo this is a perfect opportunity to bare your teeth there's asbestos here what are you doing like or you know this is not the opportunity to be burying your teeth would you put those away and actually sit down and talk and um like the oka crisis or something like that why are you burying your teeth so hard like you sent in the military uh whereas like during the flq crisis you know they're bombing diplomat they're kidnapping diplomats and bombing uh what do you call it uh mail boxes sorry (laughs) My brain oh, just was like, the uh, what was it? Anthrax or whatever. Is that what you mean? No, that was like during 9-11. But the, the FLQ crisis in 1970, where um, they abduct, abducted two diplomats, the French separatists, uh, militant separatists. Canada and, did that? Oh, yeah. Look it up. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> I'm going to have to. Yeah. And like the Quebec separatists were blowing up mailboxes uh, all through... Um, all through the 60s and a lot of this French. was exacerbated now this is what uh i sent you that that video of uh uh the soviet spy who is flaring those tensions up <laughs> teaching them how to do that you know ira type uh stuff and that's a, that's an opportunity where you would bare your teeth or like where we're bringing the, the government's bringing litigation against um uh 
you know, oil companies being idiots and stuff like that. But then, you know, if an oil company is saying, again, I can't think of an oil company one, but if someone comes up and says like, um, geez, what was the example that I just used? The Oka crisis, the natives outside of Montreal who uh, didn't want a golf course. This is literally it. They didn't want a golf course being put onto their land. And so they kind of just got together and blockaded the uh, blockaded the way into Montreal, pissing off everyone in Montreal. The problem was is that they had AKs. It not was cool. <laughs> it, not cool. It was a situation dedicated towards a diplomatic situation, and the government dropped the ball so hard that they uh, the 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 premier had to call. Didn't had to, but he called the the um we call it the. Uh, the military in, and there was a military standoff um shots fired i don't think anyone i think only one person died um and it was resolved relatively peacefully and the golf course i don't think ever came out but like it was an armed conflict over a golf course that should never have gotten to that should never have come to teeth but um but teeth isn't just like force it's you know sanctions it's being an absolute nuisance to people who aren't uh, are you know thinking or thinking of breaking the rules or trying to cheat a bit or waylay the system and so you need people to go after that the problem is is that it takes so long like i think the problem is we've legalized cheating it's not even the fact that people are side skirting the rules anymore they've changed the rules so they don't need to cheat well i heard the word recently lawfare where it's it's not warfare it's lawfare um where you're fighting battles in war in law but the thing is they, they it's not legal but we've made it so that's so hard to convict uh anybody skirting the rules because you know they'll just litigate forever they'll just take the lumps and go that and that doesn't that, serve anybody but the rich because again right. the only people who can't defend themselves or take things to court are poor people so you can rob as many poor people as you want, millions of them, but unless they come up with a class action suit, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. So chances are, luckily, that one in a million will have money just out of winning the lottery or something, and then right. they'll carry everybody else through the lawsuit. But you can't rely on that for justice. That's right. a really unequal system. Right, and most people will not understand, or you, well, you, if you get people, even if you get people like public support on your side and make it an actual issue that people care about something like i don't know apple computer i'm just making this up apple computer it's probably not completely made up apple computers <laughs> is installing uh stuff in their computers that's monitoring you and then they sell like not just metadata but like visual data of your entire day that they store on computer like actually invasive stuff our and listeners so- should look up the nso group <laughs> yeah but and then everyone gets imagine if everyone you know this cause celeb just becomes a, uh the big thing in canada and everyone gets out on it and the government of canada just decides hey we're gonna do something about this no and then everyone starts yelling no this no this no this and then apple comes up with their billions of dollars and said no what prove it's happening or uh or they'll make it such that you don't understand it. The, the, you know, like confusing. Okay, uh, here's the thing. They don't even have to try. They show up to a con- congressional testimony and the people who are writing the laws look at their phone and they're asking Tim Cook for advice on why they get a pop-up 
notification for for like settings on their phone like the the most asinine questions are coming out of the lawmakers in the states who are like hosting hearings and interviewing the ceo of a trillion dollar corporation who makes technology and asking tech support questions about right. their iPhones. And I think like, that this, to me is ridiculous. This brings in the, the fourth group that we haven't really talked about too but, much, which is the media itself. Cause well, Apple we can like you, in our other episode. Though. Yeah, I know. I don't want to get into too much, but the, I wanted to just, get the universal basic income. So go ahead. Right. I just wanted to You're remind right. you that. But the, the thing is that this guy, I had to look it up and now I know who he is. Tim cook. What a goofy looking fellow. But, he looks like Mike Pence, but like worse. <laughs> Sorry, that had nothing. That had no bearing on that on the argument. But um, what a handsome man! <laughs> you can go on CNN or MSNBC and just say they just don't understand. We're trying to make you know we're trying to make society better by providing this and that, blah blah blah, and the other. And meanwhile, rewatch our EULA episode, and they're you know doing not that, and it's and people will just you know they'll just believe it because it's on the legacy media because it's on the tv because they have the assumed authority of the media and that gets them away and then you know the government can just point to the media and say well you would disagree with cnn would you you know you're just being you know, and then they'll gaslight you and being uh well that's just you're just being hyperbolic this isn't that bad uh you know arguing against themselves in two arguments but then they'll um and then you poison the well say your side actually is supporting terrorism (laughs) and that's easy you can do that with anything well your side just they're uh uh that's what they do with the word socialist though the reason that you don't like that word is because of them doing that to the word socialist i I don't like the word socialist, not because of what they did. I've read enough socialist stuff to know what I'm talking about. I'm not like, I'm not some, I've done my homework and I don't like the word socialist because it's. But you're not taking it by the definition of the the dictionary. You're taking it by the colloquial use. That's what I'm I'm saying. I'm taking it by the way it's used and by the way I've seen other people use it. That's what I'm saying. Because I've seen people use it way too often i have to like when i, I when, i'm not saying you're not well no, read. No, no in this specific way is that when it was used a lot in in when i was in university it was used a lot like more than it should have been it's like you, you don't like socialism it's like I, I don't know i'm still going through university i'm still figuring this stuff out but people would say oh we need more socialism and then it would be a teleological thing where um where there would be an end point like socialism is just something on the way to a better utopian and they'd be talking and using it in the utopian sense and it became in that way something that i can't abide by because like no utopia is literally nowhere (laughs) that's what it means that's the same rate of progression that made people say muslims are terrorists just because the loudest most in your face were the ones blowing stuff up claiming they were islam but Islam has nothing to do with terrorism. But right. just because Islam doesn't use, have anything to do with terrorism. Socialism just because people does, use a word the wrong way over and over again doesn't mean that's what the word means. People can use the word all they want. It doesn't mean it doesn't right. lick a difference to me. Right. But me, like I, I, I know so you the don't comment mean I it, made was about. But I'm not going to use it because I right. will. I'll use other words to say you know government social program. Social program doesn't have any telos. Fair enough. So what I was doing is attaching the way that 
the government was using and misusing the words mm. is the way that it's being adopted. And I just said similar, similarly mm. to the way they use these words wrong. Right. Because... No. And they are using that word wrong because politics are politicians are constantly saying like we can't do that. That's social. And instead of debating or actually right. speaking on policy, they just flat out deny it and call it a communist effort. Right. And the, but then they'll run a well. They're right one out of a hundred times, but usually they don't. A lot of so but even when they're politicians right, generally discussing. don't know what they're talking about. You can't about. just not talk about something because you don't like a word that you classify it as. That's not well, science. The That's left not does, The left does the exact same thing with the word racism, like exactly the same. I don't agree like, with any parties. I think people should all just be data-driven. Just look at policy and discuss things rationally. There's no reason to like just sign away your allegiance to a group of people who slightly agree with you just so you can win elections like that's that's not democracy that's bullshit <laughs> that i agree with <laughs> i mean you can call it democracy but it's not about the people it's about the party it's a partocracy and it's not meritocracy mm. because you're not rewarding people in politics for being good at their jobs these people are regulating technology companies and they don't understand how to use their iphones Party-ocracy. that's insane <laughs> You might know law really well, but you don't know anything about, if you don't know anything about technology, you, mm. you shouldn't be the one banning Huawei. You should tell them to show them the schematics, say, we've reverse engineered this phone, here's the back door. That's the scientific evidence of something. Mm-hmm. You can't just come up with an idea and say it's communist and ban a company. That's not capitalism. Right. Like, that's protectionism. But I can be, as a consumer... And this is what we all have the power to do. This is kind of why, like, personal responsibility. I can say I'm worried about, um, like, I've seen what's happening in China based on the data that's coming up, that's leaked out of there. And I don't like it. And I'm worried about Chinese technology. Like, I'm not too worried about a Chinese T-shirt. There's not going to be, like, microchips in there recording my conversations. I will be severely impressed if they do manage to do that. But um, the Huawei phone is, I have the same qualms that I have about Apple phones with a Huawei phone. Uh, I just, I don't like China at all. and I don't want to support a fascist regime, so I won't ever buy one or support it. Uh, so I have an Android, but it's like a third generation or something. My issue oh. isn't with the product though. It's with the yeah. way they approach the subject. They mm-hmm. flat out denied talking about it and debating about it like actual human beings. And we reward them with leadership positions for it because they're supposedly the best people capable of representing the country well, clearly they're not if they're not willing to discuss something based on a label that they haven't even looked into well because one of them like a lot of and this is what's interesting this is why i kind of have some hope is that there's two groups of politicians right now that seem to, well it's three there's the the first group is the one that just don't don't do anything and that's that's you're never gonna get rid of those ones um and don't do or say anything the the second group are the ones who seem to have faith in the legacy media and they see the new media that we're getting the new media that we're creating right now is where we can have a long form conversation get to the nitty-gritty make mistakes and 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 uh talk about them and you know rectify our own mistakes all get in one messy. conversation get messy democracy is supposed to be messy and they don't see that they see it as i can bring my rants in my 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 30 second soundbite rants and i can get those onto a wider audience on the internet but the thing is nobody trusts 30 second soundbite rants anymore we're sick of them we've had them for too long nobody believes them anymore and we see this on like um certain sites or 
and then other politicians. I think too many people believe them. That's yeah. why memes are so popular. Anything written on a picture, people just believe it blindly. It's it's memes actually are a really whole bad. different thing. We do communicate pretty much just in memes, anyways. But memes are just hilarious. And people versions get of... information from memes that they right. repeat to other people. They actually yeah. teach things that they learn from pictures. Yeah, that that's that's why I deleted Reddit recently. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not even kidding. What a month! <laughs> I was enjoying some, like some of the subreddits that have nothing to do with politics. I was enjoying, like, uh, how long were some... you on though? You lasted about a month, right? Yeah, and I couldn't escape the the bullshit from from each side, and I, I just deleted it. And it was it was like I was finding seeing my myself become more and more like uh, psychologically like it wasn't good for my psychology, so I got rid of it. To me, it's but... like eating cake for dinner every day. Like it just makes me sick. Yeah. And I didn't like what I was doing on it. And like, I wasn't even posting. I was, the the thing is I was posting were like, Hey, I know a guy that makes that part for that, uh, that firearm or something. And like, it wasn't anything political, but I found myself still not like, you can't avoid the, 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 the refuse. And one of the things that's the antidote to that is these conversations that we're having the three hour, four hour, two, like these hours long conversations that some political, some people in politics are actually stepping up, sitting down with people on, and this is happening on both sides and just talking, which was taboo before. This was absolutely taboo because what if you say something bad? You know, you get your, 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 your handler, every politician has a handler and they'll say, no, no, you can't do this. Or you have to do this. So remember to say this, remember to say that, and they'll stay off certain topics, but most of the time they'll be, you're actually able to press them on issues. You're because you have that time. And here's my suggestion to that though. Most politicians run on a dial for dollars model where they spend like four hours a day out of the six, they work calling people, just begging for money whether it's companies or rich individuals or whatever, Mm -hmm. if they spent all of that time in recorded conversations with each other, like we would have more videos than we could watch. Nobody's expected to watch them all, but if they're there, then we have some points of reference to where the conversation is, where it's heading. And we have comments from the public. Right. And they wouldn't have to spend all their time on the phone. They could actually just sit, relax and talk to people. The other thing was, is that, and this this is might be a conflict of interest, but I think it would be better. Was that you could direct, you know, as you're watching, and you're like, I like this guy's, I like the cut of this guy's jib. I like what he's saying. I like how eloquent he is. I like how he fesses up to his things. I'm gonna donate to his, you know, ten bucks to his yeah. thing. Without like, asking for the money, people would donate. And you could say like, you know, I'm campaigning on everything you heard today. Uh, if you see me in public, ask me about that. And you know, if you'd like to donate to my uh my campaign this and they'll spend more time talking to everybody yeah and, and it's open if you wanted and, to interrupt it with ads at least you'd know where the sponsors are it would be you, right in your face who's advertising on this channel and you'd you know s- who's giving them money and you see this happening in america and canada right now it's like the new thing that's right in its nascence and before everyone was you know well, i'm not talking to anybody i'm not talking to anybody. a few uh specifically like um I'm going to give you a segue here. Specifically, people like um, Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang uh, <laughs> were uh, were on. They were saying, "Okay, what if I go on Joe Rogan? Joe Rogan's going to let me talk until I'm dead." And Joe Rogan will be like, "Have you done DMT?" It's like, "No, dr- drugs are an important thing that we need to talk about." And then they'll talk. <laughs> and 
That is and, so a Yang response. <laughs> yeah. And so what, but they end up having to talk about it for like two, three hours. And then they end up having, you know, the politician ends up having fun. God forbid, you know, <laughs> instead of just being personality a, and truth. Instead of being a cranky meth head, read um, Campaign Trail 72 by, uh, uh, oh, fuck, what was that guy's name? Fear and Loathing guy, Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. His political book was on following the Democratic uh, primaries was absolutely brilliant on how politics works. Um, and uh, the that will, I think, be the best thing because now what they're doing is they're not just trying to get on Joe Rogan or um, what's that other guy's name? Uh, the suit, the meathead scientist. There's a lot of them. Lex Friedman. <laughs> Or something like that. Oh, he's such a meathead. <laughs> yeah. That's just beautiful, man. <laughs> I love the guy. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, and they're not trying to get, they're starting their own. Uh, I think the Republicans right now are doing it a little more. Uh, some of the uh, marginal Republicans. Oh, you'll never get Mitch McConnell or Ted Cruz. To no, have never. But you're getting people. What's that eye patch guy? He's got his own. Uh, <laughs> he's a Texas one, but he does like a. Uh, he does one and there's a bunch of others who are starting to encourage it though because that's actually in the public's best interest on each side and they should have and they should bring in interviews they should bring in celebrities they should bring in experts and talk about like things and that's what they would do and And if a candidate can't do that they're not suited for politics they should have a different job if you can't sit on camera and discuss your opinions on policy you shouldn't be making laws you should have flat out you're a representative of people you should be able to speak to people. You write laws. You should be able to discuss alternative options to writing laws. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't rocket science. Yeah, you just put and two it, and two together. Somebody who knows policy and can speak on camera. Right. And you're allowed it's to say, easy. I'm not allowed to talk about that at the moment. Uh, that's okay. Because yeah. we understand that there's things that, you know, you people could use against you. But you should be, if you say that too much, you know, we think he doth protest too much. <laughs> So we'll get a little suspicious, but that and people will see that. And I think, yeah, I think that's one of the, one of the the best things that's coming out lately. Uh, I hope so. I really hope you're right. I don't think yeah. they will because I think politicians are chicken shit. Well, they're trying to like Trudeau, especially is of their image. They won't say anything on camera, especially in cancel culture, because any slip up whatsoever, their entire career they feel is going to be gone. Well, that's why I don't like running for governor again, though. eh? (laughs) Yeah. Well, in Canada, I'm really worried about that bill that Trudeau put forth um, regarding um, online censorship, uh, because that's that's really scary, because that would that would like if if we say something, you know, if we perform les majesté, which is completely legal in Canada and America, like les majesté is like you're allowed, you know, telling the king he's an idiot um, lesson. And so if we say something bad about the government and they can be like, well, that's actually fake news and we are going to close you down because you're a terrorist or something. And we're going to define that. And I don't, I don't like that ability. I don't like limiting content. I think that is totalitarianism. Yeah. That's the thing that all these people are freaking out about with the mask mandates and stuff. And nobody gives a shit about net neutrality. That's what it is. That neutrality is way to totalitarianism. Once, once everyone stops talking about, um, about, covid they're gonna net neutrality will be next in the chopping block but no one's going to talk about it because trudeau's going to bring up guns again because nobody in canada cares about guns 
it's it's a non-issue. They didn't even debate it in the last debate. We didn't and have to though. I thought everybody no, but, is just okay with it. Well, the thing is, is that it, they bring out guns to be like, oh, net neutrality. Look at the monkey. Look at the monkey. There's terrorists in among us. Ooh, look at the monkey. And everyone's just like, okay, I'll put down my rifle and look at the monkey, I guess. But and so we have to remain vigilant and open form conversation. Nobody's is the trying way to ban go. guns. We just want registration. That's it. Oh, and no, you I'm, have registration. So we're like, okay, good. I'd like some better registration and long arms don't need to be registered. Like there's so many, but like, I don't, some of the rules are absolutely stupid. I'm not allowed to have a digital pass to bring my pistols to the range. Like I have to have the physical paper or I get that's five years in jail. Issue, though. That doesn't hurt. No, anybody. I know that's, that's, that's nobody's, that is nobody's, that is not an issue for anyone except for registered firearm owners or it's just not restricted fire. It's not a priority. Uh, but it doesn't mean they can't change it while they do other stuff. Like these people should be able to do more than one thing at a time. Oh yeah. That's a pretty straightforward now, issue. Now using their teeth to keep guns coming, illegal guns from coming over the border, do that. Helping people, uh, you know, encouraging more, and here's a social program, encouraging more psychologists to help people uh, who were arrested and with violent crimes from committing violent crimes again. That seems like a good place for money to go. Dude, how about therapy to people who come out of jail? Like, yes. do you know how traumatizing jail is? Like, you lock people up in prison. You think they're just going to be normal when they come out? No, that that's a social program I can get behind. Yeah, like, that totally. Right there. Like, help you them have help you have reduce a jail. recidivism, and everybody benefits from it. That's because a social we, program that we could all pay for that benefits everybody. We all have a dirty social program that we can't really get rid of. It's called jail, and we kind of need it because it's like you need to think, sit, and think about what you're doing. We're going to separate you from society for a bit. And what like the minutia of it doesn't really matter. The jail is the best alternative to just, you know, torturing someone in public or, you know, banishing yeah. them because you can't it's banish people. It's way more people. humane and they can study, they can learn, they can yeah. grow out of it. <laughs> At least we should let them. Um, but um, the the reality is messy though, like uh, everything is. And like reality is messy to begin with. But the thing that, and I, I can see why people don't like the idea of therapists because psychology is new. It's very new. It's like a hundred years old. Psychotherapy, like Freud was only Freud a hundred years ago. It's like, yeah, but that was only a hundred years ago. And Freud pretty much invented psychotherapy. And he didn't figure it all out. He was just the father of it. No, he's like, what about dreams? What about sexual like attraction to your parents? It's like, okay, he's, he's grasped Mr. Oz. And, but like some of his straws were worth it. And he set a nice template and him and Jung were kind of starting it. And psychology made some glorious missteps in the 20th century. Some absolute doozies of, you know, uh, incomprehensible. Ultra being a good one for Canadians. <laughs> yeah. And so we, there's the, you know, that and some of the fake news coming out of um, Scientology uh, makes it, me understand why people are hesitant about psychologists because, you know, a, bad, a good psychologist will help you. A bad psychologist can make it worse. And so we want, but it's a little more mature than it was. And I think we need to start, I think, putting psychologists in and after prison, after being like, I don't know, an office. <laughs> Um, and maybe instead of like a 
you know, you need harder psychologists than what we're, because, you know, you can't just have like, okay, we're going to sit around and talk about our feelings. You need someone who's going to be like, sit down, shut up. We're talking about your feelings. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) Since this is an educational broadcast, we should mention there are three different types of things we're talking about here. There's therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. Mm -hmm. So a psychiatrist prescribes you medications. Psychologist analyzes your pathologies, like the way Uh, if you're bipolar or OCD or ADHD or whatever. And a therapist is somebody who helps you through emotional trauma by talking. So usually it's like, I should get my, well, they'll all sit and talk to you, but they'll talk to you with a different focus. If you talk Mm. to a psychiatrist about your problems, they're going to look for a pill to give you. They're not going to help you like dig down into your dreams and lay on a couch. Now it's just knowing a a, specialist within psychology, knowing a lot of, pharmacists sometimes a pill is the thing you need to get you to a place where you can talk um a lot of times yeah if it's a chemical imbalance there's nothing you can fix by talking that a lot of and from what it sounds like a lot of psychology after that is making sure okay we're going to stay on your pill so we can keep talking so we can keep you going on track so you can keep your job and not go back to wherever that was (laughs) and and keep they're the chaos out of with psilocybin and mdma now they're finally realizing that it's useful I've been i want to get an expert on that so decades. bad i think there's a group in in calgary looking at that specifically with uh war vets and i be neat to interview one of them yeah and there's i'm so grateful that they're finally doing studies on this because i've been writing a, i started writing about it back in what 2005 or six i started writing my first articles on it mm-hmm. and the entire reason why we weren't allowed to do any research is because they couldn't acquire any of the drugs because it was illegal for possession. <laughs> so the scientists and researchers knew and acknowledged that the research was there and needed to get done. And the, the government had sponsored them to do research on psychological treatments. And then they said, no, but you can't buy that. Yeah, I think there was a I think there was a there's a thing in the States where they the government was just like, we're going to ignore the fact that you're buying drugs and you're going to ignore the fact that we know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, um, just before we close out, I wanted to quickly get your thoughts on the universal basic. Income. Yeah, sorry. I, I we kind of went on a couple tangents. No, I think it's good. We, this has been a good episode. Yeah. I'm glad we did. Um, universal basic income. Uh the idea that you get sounds paid good. For being a human it's being a bad idea. <laughs> That's kind of where I come down on it. It sounds great. Honestly, it sounds, I mean, it sounds awful. <laughs> no, I mean, the optics of it, they look great. Like oh, it's, for a politician. Yeah. Free money. It's that hot chick at the party that when you go up and talk to her, she starts talking in a man's voice. <laughs> But what I would suggest, though, that's better than universal basic income is equal opportunity so that even disabled people can work and make enough money that they don't need welfare or disability checks. I but think we're doing enabled people who are disabled to make their own money and have a life for themselves instead of just relegating them to the sideline and giving them barely enough to live and not enough rent. Like, yeah, stuff I think like that is just really straightforward. People anything... need stuff. They don't need actual money. So if you just build stuff and the government builds that stuff, then they wouldn't have to give them money for it. Right. That's how it ties into this episode. Is I'm Lately, a lot of what we've seen in the last history is that when you give people, like we're all living like kings in Canada, every single one of us. If you're in Canada, even if you're poor, you're richer than a lot of the planet. Relative um, to 500 years ago, it's the whole planet. Oh, relative to, yeah, exactly. So, but what we've done with this is we don't understand that we are living like it. And so 
we have this relativity of suffering where it's like, oh, my child has smallpox and I have plague. Oh, well. And now it's like, oh, I'm out of my coffee. Oh, why don't I have unless so we we, we kind of we have it really good. And so what happens but there's a baseline is, of human dignity that we're not servicing. Right. Right. And that to and, me is abhorrent. Even though we have it better, there is a baseline of dignity like toilet paper access. Yes. Disabled people with like colitis and Crohn's should have diarrhea cleaning. Right. But I don't feel the need to have my taxpayer money to go to my neighbor's PS4. Uh, That's totally different from toilet paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, the neighbors. And what if the don't government have, had a toilet paper like, making facility and they offered disabled people free toilet paper? God, could you imagine government made toilet paper? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, not just toilet paper, but like, you know, cheap food, cheap furniture, cheap clothes, just something to put on in the winter so you don't. Right. Freeze. Well, we have. Instead well, there of giving are, people money to go to a store and pay Walmart to pay somebody else to pay somebody else, there are like why not just have jobs? Goodwill and locally? right, and we have like private institutions that do this, um, Goodwill, Value Village, that kind of stuff. Like, um, uh, like I guess uh, secondhand shops, which do that, and they they're, they're 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 quite the industry, and they do service the population very well. And Walmart is does that well but you know there's a lot of sugar in those stores but at the same time i think serb showed us a lot uh in canada serb was the two thousand dollars a month was it that the government gives to everybody when I they never got it no i never got it either i didn't i was self-employed but i could i could have got it but i should I, I have too much i think i got one check last summer that everybody got but i never got a monthly thing I got EI once and I didn't like how it felt. So I went and got a job. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of where that's I'm That's the point from. of EI though. It's employment insurance. It's not a job. It's an insurance right. when you're between jobs. That's the right. Point. So CERB was during COVID, the thing that the government instituted that the Americans, I don't know, were complaining about not and having done, and it was a mess anyway. The Canadians essentially gave $2,000 a month to people that were on lockdown. And you had to prove that you were on lockdown, blah, blah. And a lot of people, uh tried to mess the system and they got generally i think they got caught and a lot of people who were gaming the system and not getting a job ended up having their comeuppance too when they found out that they had to owe the money back in taxes um and they're like why do i have to pay it back because well, you know no free money and so this is like i had to pay uh i got rental assist one time and i had to pay it back and it was just like this was not conducive to like this is money now instead of later kind of stuff and that's it was I think effective at preventing a mass homelessness though yeah it, it helped needed it that actually saved a whole bunch of families right and in the end i found out that i probably didn't need it uh but it did help me for a couple months and it was um but i think what is happening is that you hit the nail squarely on the head with that we need opportunity because what I have seen and what I've seen when, when I've been unemployed is that I'm not at all mentally as healthy when I'm not working as when I'm working. When I'm doing something, I have you know, a little bit more self-respect. I have that dignity that comes with a hard day's work. I come, that sounds so cliche, but it's, it's true. You are mentally more stable when you are employed on something. Idle hands make the devil's work is a real thing. And we're, if we incentivize people to sit around, that is not 
psychologically healthy for them. And that's kind of my biggest thing. And so we need to find some way to make them earn that money. Can I make one correction though? The government in no way incentivizes people to do nothing. There is no incentive whatsoever to be on welfare in Canada. They don't give you enough to live on. You live in squalor. You can't afford to buy anything. You can't afford to go anywhere. You can't go to school or do anything. Mm -hmm. It is just like being in prison because you can't do anything except you have a comfortable bachelor suite that you share with two other people. There was a couple of states in the the States that, uh, what a way to say it, in America that um, started instituting over COVID a similar program of unemployment insurance. I don't know what they call it down there. Um, Social security. I don't know. They call it welfare. We call it EIA. Yeah. Employment income assistance here. Yeah. And so their welfare system ended up paying more than minimum wage. So I think a lot of that, you know, if the government's going to do anything, it would be to and that's because minimum wage was like a four fifty down there. Like it was yeah. so low, it was literally impossible to live on it. Like minimum wage can be too high, and I think twenty to fifteen to twenty dollars an hour, it's a bit high. And it, you know, when you get that much, you lose hours. I saw when a minimum wage. You're went saying up that minute. relative to how much you earned and made, though. <laughs> Yeah. If you think about how much money is not being paid in taxes by the biggest corporations mm-hmm. who are exploiting your natural resources, that could more than compensate for the, the deficit. Right. That's but what people don't get four is the bucks scale, an hour. Like the even, scale like, of the revenues that you don't understand is because when somebody no, gets paid I, 20 bucks an hour, they're paying into taxes. Right. That now, subsidizes you too. Right. No, I know that like everyone that makes under 40 grand a year isn't paying taxes they're not paying for what they're getting out of society period like you get buses you get streets you get all this stuff you get water you get all that stuff that society everybody's not using everything right no that doesn't even make sense though as an argument that's i'm it's 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 support for an argument so it's it's there for you but if you can't afford a place to live to take care of that stuff you know four bucks an hour that's that's too low. Like, okay, so let's let's translate this into Canadian. So four bucks, that's like six bucks an hour. Now, generally, you want in Canada, you know, I was making ten bucks an hour in Canada, uh, like six seven years ago, and that was okay. That was like I was scraping, but I was doing okay. But in the states, there, you know, you're still. I was I would be making four dollars less and probably having fewer benefits. That's not enough, and that I don't agree with. So, but at the same time, the people working for that would still be working for that, and not just getting what is the equivalent of a living wage for you know being home. And so I think. The issue is, though, people's spending power. It has nothing to do with the, the number or the amount. It's mm. what you can actually buy with minimum wage. That's what mm. needs to change. Right, and you so need to make that calculation. The Americans giving just people aren't universal doing the math. <laughs> right, so giving people a universal basic income, all that would do is change the, the, the price of everything else. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't fix a single problem. It no. would make all of, all of That's like right. standard basic needs cost $2,000 more if you gave everybody $2,000. You watch, did you watch the show, Mr. Robot? Yeah. 
Yeah, that was a great show. I loved it, uh, except for one aspect of it, the, the conclusion. Spoilers. It you seemed can... basically the same as the video game Watch Dogs. Yeah, but Watch Dogs kind of sucked. <laughs> it didn't have as good cinematography. <laughs> Mr. Robot had the best tension in any show I've ever seen. Just making, like, they're plugging in a USB, and you're just like, oh! <laughs> like, I, 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 it was great. But the conclusion of it was they hey, stole a bunch of money. Alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. They stole a bunch of money from the corporations. Now, you know they're doing this the whole time. The first season, they do it, and they steal a bunch of money, and the economy goes to heck, and they're like, oh, what did we do? And then they steal it again from the actual people they should have stole it from, and they steal it properly because they just wiped out credit card debt, and it actually didn't do anything. It actually made things worse. So they stole actual money from like the rich billionaires, and they ended up giving it out to people in the end in this like happy ending. It had a happy ending. But the problem was is that they gave like a million dollars to every single person in America. Now, what happens if everyone has a million dollars all at once? Price of everything goes up. Well, that million dollars becomes zero. <laughs> Everyone's at the same place, except the price of everything goes up, as you said, because inflation, that's instant inflation right there. Except if you buy things from outside of the country, your yes. spending power is still valid in other countries. So you import stuff. If everybody gets a million dollars, you would just buy stuff from other countries and bring it in. Mm-hmm. So it actually affects people in other countries. Right. Harder. It affects other countries and then they get flooded with US dollars so they don't value it as much and then the currency goes down. But in yeah. the meantime, you get a huge surplus of imports and other countries get risen out of poverty almost overnight mm -hmm. because of all the foreign spending. And right. everybody's encouraged to spend it sooner rather than later because of inflation. So it really destabilizes the entire world if you did that. Right. But like a middle class family with savings of like you know it's like oh we've got two hundred fifty thousand dollars saved up for a house everyone gets a million dollars oh well that two hundred fifty thousand dollars isn't worth very much anymore so it's it wipes out everybody's value but because mm -hmm. it equalizes everybody it also screws up the balance of markets right and the other aspect of it is something that just fled out of my head like a some geez i had an argument there um so the right the paying for it <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was it but go on uh yeah the reason why i was saying it was a flawed argument though is it wasn't comparing apples to apples right like yeah having a hypothetical situation that isn't relevant or not relevant uh that isn't related to the actual circumstances means that the conclusion from the hypothetical is also dubious and suspect mm -hmm. so what you got to do with if you're going to ground the ideas of like UBI into like firm principles of uh, organization in finance or anything like that, it, it's important to note where the money is currently and why things are the prices that they are now. And the reason is the income gap. When you look at the income disparity, that's like the first clue that minimum wage isn't high enough. Mm -hmm. Because if there's an income gap that large, it means there's tons of leftover money. It's just not getting to the right place. So it has nothing to do with businesses not being able to afford to pay more. It yeah. has everything to do with a certain number of people who are uh, in power, who have control of the country's resource. And again, currency is a country's national resource. It's not mm. owned by who has the most of it. It is a government-regulated federal 
uh, establishment for people of that country to exchange goods efficiently and effectively and to store value and create value and to transfer value from the product of their labors and energy. Right. It's not fair to suggest that just because somebody has more money that they earned it. Mm -hmm. And the issue isn't that people um, need to get paid more from minimum wage. The issue is the distribution of income is disproportionately gapped. It's disproportionately imbalanced because it's allowed to be. Right. People who make the most money can reduce their taxes most effectively by hiring accountants and moving money offshore and setting up numbered companies and writing right. off all these taxes and having subsidies and all of these all of these implements are made to help the people who are in least need and that's created a gap that the minimum wage is supposed to um, right. counterbalance. That's that opposing friction that's knuckling. Right in. now, there's other. That's not to say that there's another other factors at work. Um, one thing that comes to mind is that that's kind of bringing down the poor or help is, uh, like poor, like willy, uh, subsidies given out willy nilly that just look good. So something like, um, infill yeah, that's lot. so destructive. Yeah. Like infill lots, raising the price of all the houses. And so you build a bunch of like $800,000 and it's like, oh, it'll lower the price of housing. Cause we have more housing. It's like, do you know how much housing you actually have to build to lower the price of housing? You don't like you, the government doesn't have enough money. Uh, but they could just build cheaper houses and sell them at cost. Well, if they, that's if another they, instance, the government could have a company, right. a construction they built company. This, they built this like $800,000 house right behind my house. My house is like, it's got like, it's a two bedroom thing. It's great. I love it. It doesn't need to be any bigger, but no, we're subsidizing like fancy houses. Well, and then because it sounds good when you say, oh, we're building more fancy houses so people can afford more fancy houses. Like you need to build a hundred thousand more fancy houses in the city for the price to go down. Like stop, <laughs> build, <laughs> build cheaper housing so people can live in it. And, or like for 800 grand though, you could house 32 poor families. Yeah. And you could prevent those 32 families from needing social assistance when they're elderly if they could own them and right. store value in their property instead of paying rent to a landlord. So now, for every was... one of those mansions they build, when they when they expand an entire district, right, of like 60 or 70 uh, suburban houses that are all $750,000, that's like, what, 10,000 people, families. Right. So 30,000 people. I'm going to put on my NDP straw man hat and say something like, well, those houses aren't good enough for them. <laughs> I've heard, I've actually heard this argument that you see a lot in like San Francisco and stuff. People who've never been poor make that argument. Yes. <laughs> you and I would have taken any studio apartment that we could have owned ourselves on minimum wage. You and I both would have lived in a shoebox if that's all we could afford, because it's better than nothing. The mm -hmm. alternative is we paid money into rent anyway and got nothing back for it. Or living with my mother. <laughs> and then we get it's a government not healthy subsidy for, people for watching. rent, right? We get like <laughs> rental assistance, a hundred dollar tax credit at the end of the year, paid for by taxpayers, so that uh, so that a, a landlord can write off his income as capital gains. Mm -hmm. Like that's insane. Why would you write off their income and give me a hundred bucks and pat me on the head and be like, "Hey, you're poor forever"? <laughs> yeah. Not that I am, but like. That's not how you. That's not how you close an income disparity gap. You don't. You don't show. I think preferential treatment. To you the hit on. You hit something on my head there that really, um, really resounded. I think I was talking about this with my wife yes last night. And there's a there's there's use the word poor, and I'm not going to make like where you have a false dichotomy where you know poor isn't actually poor. No, poor is poor. 
you're poor, you don't you don't have enough money. But I think there's a difference because we but want to help if you ever we want to help people you like eat, you poor. who have, you know, circumstantial uh maladaptions to reality. <laughs> Sorry, I won't say it as huffy stuffy as that. You are poor technically, but you're not poor psychologically. Poor is often just a state of mind. And I think one of the things that we have to distinguish between is someone who's poor and someone who just happens to not have any money at that let, moment. Let me distinguish. Poverty means your basic you. needs aren't met. So yes. If you have medication that aren't covered by the government, you're poor if you can't afford them. If you have diet dietary needs that you can't meet, nutrition, you're poor. If you can't afford to rent your own place, never mind own it, but just rent a place, the smallest, mm. cheapest place you can possibly get. If you can't afford that, you're poor. If you can't afford a phone so that you can get a job, you're poor. If you can't afford clothes when, when winter comes and you're freezing outside and you got to wear six summer shirts, right. you can't afford a winter shirt, like one winter shirt, you're poor. When basic needs aren't met or food isn't scarce, like uh, insecure, when you don't know where you're going to get your next meal from, you're mm -hmm. poor. I'm not talking about like fancy haircuts and like dental cleaning and getting like gold right. crowns and stuff like that. I'm not talking about gas for your car or tuition for school or like, you know, bus fare because you can walk or take a bike. I'm talking poverty mm -hmm. and minimum and wage doesn't cover that shit. No. And I, I mean, it doesn't Winnipeg, but not in Vancouver or no, Alberta. Well, Vancouver and Toronto and Toronto, Montreal. Alberta. Montreal, like most of the Alberta's actually quite reasonable, um, surprisingly. Well, when I was there, it was really bad. They were paying oh. Tim Horton staff like twenty bucks an hour when minimum wage was seven. Oh yeah, that was during the bubble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when were you in Alberta? Oh, my dad lives out there. Oh right, right, right. But the um... I also had the free flight, or not free, but like twenty dollars flights when my sister was a flight attendant, so I traveled a lot. I think. <laughs> One of the thing is that a lot of the poor people we encounter aren't the poor people that are actually in poverty. We see like students who are like, oh, I'm so poor, I'm so poor. And I'm just like- Ugg boots, Lululemon Ugg, Yeah, pants. Ugg boots, yeah. And I'm just like, and I, <laughs> I don't really hair. have any sympathy for that. And they're like, oh, I wish I had more money. I wish people would just give me more money. Oh, get rid of my student loans. It's like, you're the one who decided to go to university. Like, tough, pay off, pay it off. I'm sorry, I don't have any sympathy for that. And you know, if you're, if you're worried about it, go up to any construction company and say, give me a sign to hold. And that's it. Like you don't have to work in service. Landscaping companies every summer need hands to put sod in. Just go up to one and say, I'll work. And they'll be like, well, the work's hard. And they'll be like, I don't I'll deal with it. And they'll be like, fine. All right. Dude, servers work part-time as, as like teenagers in, in university. And they made more than I made full-time as a professional manager. Yeah. Like <laughs> they make much more money than they claim they make. Most people yeah. who say they're poor. Yeah, I, was, I made real poverty. The ones that harm society mm -hmm. because they could be more productive right. can't be because they're basic needs. They're chasing them. Constantly. Poverty where you can't just go into a construction place and say, give yeah. me a sign. Uh, and like, if you find, uh, like pay me up front for some like steel toe boots uh, for the first two weeks and, uh, I'll just, I'll get well, and give me a shovel service at the, at the government center already. Right. If you bus and, for uh, to get to the job site and they'll, they'll rent you, um, steel toe. Right. Boot. So 
the people that we're talking about hard hat aren't the people like there's there is opportunity in society if you're willing to work hard and no. like you're gonna and the thing is, is that we're you we have to not be above working dirty jobs um and Word. yeah at all because like it's taught me more than like a lot of the stuff I know, which I still reference when I go into like, you know, I'll be working in a archive and I'll still be like, well, I learned to work hard installing flooring. <laughs> like you do what you need to do to get the job done. And the people, not everyone can do that. And those are the people that need our help. Those are the people that need these government social services. Uh, sorry, that was redundant because I switched tax in my head halfway through these social services. Um, those are the things that are and yeah there's always going to be people who are be like hmm, i can take advantage of this there's always going to be those people there's we've we've met them there's like you get a group together and there's always going to be one kid who you know in every classroom who's going to like say you know uh you know I'll call yeah, we gay. focus on outliers no we should irrelevant. and that's the thing we should they're just anomalous. let we should and what i'm arguing is that we should let the outliers be outliers and let the police handle them <laughs> Yeah, but fraud the, is still fraud. <laughs> yeah, that's a social police is a social service that you don't talk to, that um, is really quite necessary to society, and they'll deal with those people. That's their job. That's why we have them. But we have other social services to deal with people that are of um, have different needs, and I think there always will be an element of people in our society, just from stuff like the accidents of birth that nobody can control, um, which we've solved a lot of due to modern medicine and hygiene. But you know, there's still always going to be people who are like, I was born without an arm. <laughs> and I have to rely on social services because as prosthetic limbs are expensive. Oh boy. <laughs> and it's going to be harder for you to earn a living with only one arm. Imagine even people in the hospital, right? If we went out of our way to train them to do like technical services, like computer stuff, and got them to do part-time work, like supporting the website for the government or something like that, right? Just mm -hmm. little job like that. Not only are you not paying out for nothing, you're paying them to do work that makes them better and healthier if they choose to do it and if they're able to, mm -hmm. and they're paying taxes. Not right. a lot, but instead of paying out money, you're saving that money and then you're also gaining revenue. Right. Plus you're supporting the business that they're offering services to because money doesn't just come out of nowhere. If you offer a service to a business for cheaper than somebody else because you have like physical impairments or, you know, requirements, that means that your service is less, uh, uh, less punctual, let's say, than another company's like mine, for instance, I can't, I can't be depended upon for uh, like a to the hour meeting appointment, but I give people a discount on my services because of my, my unreliability. Right. So if you can do that and encourage that from people who are sick or needy or disabled or elderly or whatever, you're not only reducing the burden on the system for supporting them, they're also contributing to the system, not just in taxes financially and stuff, but also in the businesses that are selling their services to. And mm -hmm. that compounds. And I know a lot of people don't get exponentiation, which is obvious with like how they treat the the uh, the COVID pandemic. Well, we've but, talked like, about that with benefits are the best benefits you should sponsor. Always pay for a compounding benefit. But that's why, like we've talked about this before, which is why, like I harp, like that's why I harp on freedom and diversity mm -hmm. so much because, like you know, that's our society. What makes our society so 
powerful but extremely messy and ugly uh is that is that we are leveraging and compounding the like we don't just have the people that the king says can work working and we don't have to wait for the commissar to you know tell us that we can grow grain people just do we have decentralized effort to to such an extent that like we have every hand in our country looking for a place to be and we're so rich that we have and we're doing this so much and we have so much exponential wealth because of it that we are looking for ways to get the hands that you know might that aren't in the hands that are idle as a matter of consequence seeing how we can even leverage those to further the exponential calculation and i know this sounds very like clinical but you know those people that used to just be you know lepers or rejects in society roaming around we've put them to work and we're now finding that there's still people that society's left behind and we're now like all we're talking about is seeing if we can even save those people and that and, to me is a case for state-owned enterprise. That's a perfect uh, example of where somebody could be making paper towels on the government dime so that the government can hand out paper towels to people who would otherwise buy it with welfare money. Right. I don't think that should be the and I I I don't think that should be the main No, but like cheap toothbrushes. No, no. Everybody needs toothbrushes. Right. Nobody's gonna but buy then the cheap If grocery. I'm a toothbrush company, then you know you (laughs) if if some other business wants to do it profitably and sell it for the same price the government just backs out sells them their equipment if they want it and does something else right and so there's no reason to commit to an enterprise just because you start one right but if there's a need there and you're giving them money to buy something you might as well build it because you're making jobs and you're producing the product that they would otherwise spend money on a corporation's product and that Mm. corporation is dodging taxes that's money out the window you might as well keep it in house. That's sort of my whole thing to this, this today. Yeah, and I, I just, I don't, I don't see. I don't know. I, I, I'm I, grateful I, you humored me, though. You've been a good sport. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that is a good time to wrap up. Um, thank my you guys voice for listening. Is about to turn on mute. Yeah. Um, remember to uh like and subscribe share us if you liked the conversation and if you're still with us definitely share us with someone that you think might like the conversation definitely give us a comment that helps the algorithm quite a bit and we can reach more people um and if you have any if you have any questions ask because like we know that you might not be working in canada and we use a lot of canadian lingo and jargon and and stuff so there are analogs and we can explain all that but until next time Hmm. Thanks for joining. You've been listening to Frivolous Gravitas.